Don't want to poke who out. Um. <laughs> don't, don't, don't want to annoy whom. Whom don't you want to annoy? Uh, you. And, and That's a good idea. Because <laughs> right now I'll just sneeze on you like one of those dinosaurs and mm-hmm. my poisonous snot will... Like like the Pope. Like... <laughs> with, his, with his gruff. Yeah. That blinds... Queen, Queen Mombi. Newman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the heads that detach on the... Mm-hmm. The swiveling axis of my Elizabethan collar. And then juggle them like those guys from Labyrinth. Yeah, so... Our theme tune is pretty abstract uh, this time. Uh, we've, we've gone for <laughs> halfway through a conversation uh, in G minor, um, but we hope you like it. And welcome to Radio Free Golgotha and the first podcast transmission of the new year. Hello. Hope you're well, everyone. If you're not, I hope Hello. you're getting better. I am sick. I apologize. Hopefully... Al doesn't get re-sick from this, because I'm pretty sure he's the one that gave it to me. Yeah, I, I made That and the lovely airplane air. Yeah, yeah, good old, good old airplane air. But, uh, Happy New Year. Welcome to, uh, 2018. Yay! What are we going to talk about, Al? So, the plan was to talk about St. Agnes. Now, the first, we record this at the moment on a, a secret day from our secret base location, um, <laughs> Spider Skull Island style. Um, the, the, with, with a decommissioned, uh, death ray turned into a, uh, positronic worst name. Um, we wanted to record this, uh, about the feast of St. Agnes. And so we're going to go ahead with that, despite the fact that the main feast day was, uh, yesterday. Uh, however, we are in luck in that pre-Vatican II, as Jesse just informed me earlier, feast day is actually the 28th. Uh, Not just actually, she had two. She was like a redundant saint feast thing. Mm. So she, lady had like two feasts and I think, you know, maybe a memory of longer feast celebrations, but. Well, this is, this is part of that thing that you get with, um, the, 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 the summer rain period saints, right? Is either you'll get several saints bunched together. And if the weather is bad on that one week, they won't do so much with that saint because they know they've got someone else, uh, in a week's time that they can, um, make more of an effort with and can kind of grandfather in the, the, the previous saint. I want purple rain saints. Yeah. Yeah. The little prince in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So the pre Vatican two, there was two feasts, the 21st and the 28th and post Vatican two, they decided to chop off the second one and consolidate all their existing saints into one, put it towards the 21st. And, and I think there's some speculation on that, but that, um, that her 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 mysteries might influence such a decision, but I think a lot of those justifications are happening from people afterwards, right? Making mystical, myst, uh, mystical noodles out of Catholic editing choices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But. So the plan is to talk uh, Agnes and Ag- Agnesian uh, mysteries. Uh, it's also to talk about Rosemary. If we're talking about cleansing things, we thought that was pretty cool. To talk about Amber. Um, to talk about the geomantic figure Populus and the Odu of Ejioka. Uh, and also possibly get to some protection magic and the tarot card of strength. And also potentially our demon of the week, Sagatana, and their Eshu of the week counterparted, Eshu Voludo. So that was our, our plan for the episode. As always, we may not get to all of them. Um, but those that we don't will be carried over to 
potentially pop up somewhere else. Uh, we were trying to think if there were any headers, exciting things that we wanted to say at the start before we, we dived in. Um, no, we've had a couple of the missing episodes mm-hmm. be put up, and, oh, yeah. and it looks like we'll continue in that vein. We have a nice uh, kind of mini episode that explains the podcast, mm-hmm. and hopefully we can record part two of that soon. Um, we both have courses and classes going on, which could be current if you're hearing this close to the broadcast, <laughs> but we yeah. seem to always have classes and, and courses going on. Um, we updated the talks part of the Radio Free Golgotha website, which um, looks lovely. And uh, we encourage you to, to come and have a look at our, our things. Um, we have a Facebook group that's 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 getting and stirring a lot of conversation that is uh, called Folk Necromancy. Mm. And it, it is an extension of Radio Free Golgotha. It was originally uh, capitalizing on the... I do credit Al with inventing the term folk necromancy as a as a TM. Um, I, I like that it seems to have found its way into many people's vocabularies as a term that has always been there. But <laughs> um, if you look carefully, it was not. And not that you... I wish you could collect royalty checks, but um, it's great that we're just discussing necromancy outside of um, uh, books of art and understanding necromancy and nigromancy on a larger context, which fits into our explorations on the publishing writing and and as well as podcasting yeah um, exactly it was part of the reason we called the imprint or the series that we're doing through revelor press folk necromancy and transmission where we're very happy with that um and i might end up banging on about the the announcement i made for my new little chat book on the three kings on the magi mm-hmm. uh, which is slated to be released on the third day of the third month because we figured as many threes as we could get would be good. Um, so I might talk about that, uh, or, or it might just be a thing that I mentioned now and um, encourage you to, to go and look at. But I think mainly just, um, yeah, thanks for, for, for tuning in. Um, great to be back doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hopefully less repeats between this episode and one of the missing episodes right, this time. Right, right, right. It's funny when you don't publish things, you forget what you talked about. Um, it could be interesting, too. Um for you to go back and for us to do a kind of follow up to the first episode and you talk about the book a little bit and yeah, yeah. see where it goes, but kind of a follow up to the three Kings. Yeah. I do like that. That was our first one. Um, yeah. I feel like that put us on a, a, a steady foot forward. So that said, speaking of feet forward, um, hairy feet. Yeah. <laughs> Proud foot. Hobbits. Hobbit St. <laughs> Agnes was a hobbit. <laughs> Canonically. And you heard it here first. Hobbit. Yeah, absolutely. So, what are the things about Agnes that uh, we first get to? Oh, we can be golden, do- uh, golden, oh gosh, not golden, golden legend style. <laughs> you can and be golden time. No, Go ahead. No, no, I would, I would rather not. Uh, we can start with some, uh, shall we say, folk etymology, or at least. Yeah. Um, you know, picking apart the name, which is a very common way that this medieval hagiography begins uh, a saint. So um, Agnes, as the, what are the, 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 the two words? We've got lamb and chaste. Well, Agnus mm. is, is lamb, mm-hmm. and she is often depicted with a lamb. And this seems to be a very much a play on the fact that in many dialects of spoken Latin, it's going to be sounding very similar for people who don't speak the language all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Agnes becomes Agnus. And especially in writing, so the vowel, just a vowel change changes it. But you're dealing with a Greek word, Agnes, for chaste um, or pure. And this becomes uh, 
it's hard to tell, like many early saints, what the historicity of this is, but she is a saint that is early enough and venerated enough by the 4th century that it is impossible to erase her from the canon. Mm. And she is one of the few female saints that are listed in the Litany of the Saints at the start of a full six-candle mass. So it's... um One of seven, right? Yes. Is it seven? I think so. Um, including the Virgin Mary? But the the other side of it, following up on our, our talk of Lucy, that I, she was an inspiration to other early saints. Yeah. And so these this 12 or 13-year-old girl who fends off Christian suitors. Um, and specifically suitors who, who keep coming back with more wealth. That's the that's the main emphasis. There isn't the initial emphasis you get in, say, uh, Justina's stories about uh, a guy who's interested in her and tries to buy her from her parents and then gets, you know, handsy or then gets violent or then, you know, calls a, a love sorcerer to come and uh, put a whammy on her. Uh, uh-huh. So much as it's he, he comes back with more and more wealth and the emphasis is placed on the the, 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 the greater jewels that her her first husband uh, has given her. And that's consistently how she supposedly frames her relationship with Christ in, in the Golden Legend, at least, is, 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 is being married to, 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 to Jeebus. Yep. And the, I find it beautiful. It's like you have 12, or, she's 12 or 13, which is the start of, of womanhood uh, within Judaic adulthood mm-hmm. um, there. Uh, and traditionally, one of the ages ascribed to the Virgin Mary when she becomes oh. pregnant. So um, I think the ages we were told in the CCD was that Mary was like 12 or 13 and Joseph was 86 specifically, <laughs> um, which explains why he dies early on in the story. and You don't hear mm-hmm. from him anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that a 12 or 13 year old girl fends off the advancements and then uh, is reported. She's tattled on mm-hmm. by her suitors for being a Christian because she's refuting wealth, wealthy suitors. And she won't uh, make sacrifice to the pagan gods yes. as well, as another standard feature of many of these stories. And so she is dragged through the streets to a brothel, I believe. Mm-hmm. A bordel, a b- as it's phrased in the um, medieval type. So to a brothel, and she... Is that when she sprouts the hobbit hairs? Um I think that might be a little bit before, or it okay. might be during. Certainly, she's stripped naked at some point. Yes, she's uh, stripped. I think she's dragged through the streets naked in, right, in many right. accounts. It varies on on which which version and which placement of these things are. But the older accounts, I believe, she's stripped naked, dragged through the streets to a brothel, in an attempt to defile her. Right, right, right. But she grows hair all over her body, or hair from her head all the way down. Yeah, or hair from the head all her all the way down. So you have. Um, Harry Saint, mm-hmm. which also some people have sig- taken as the signal of puberty, that that okay. she fully comes into Harry womanhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some other interpretations that I find interesting is that she grows hair like a man. So I know that there are some folk interpretations that she suddenly grows a beard to show oh. that her ability to assert her own identity is equal to a man, oh. that she defines who mm-hmm. she is, which is... Uh, Interesting because she's one of the earliest female, mm. notable female martyrs who is is named and has a cult mm. around her. But this idea of growing hair, either all over the body or from the face or from the head that goes down, likens her to Mary Magdalene, likens her to later of Mary of Egypt, who we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, that concept of uh, linking her to um, the, the the BVM, and that idea of the hairy stars, the Blessed get... Virgin Mary oh. for the non-Catholics or the non. Acronymics, something. 
uh, the idea of uh, hairy stars being like uh, one of the words for comets, uh-huh. and the idea of hair being yeah, like light as well, which is another link back to her eventual patronage of Saint Lucy that we discussed mm-hmm. in, in that episode. That that she is the one that turns up and tells Lucy, "You got this girl. You you can, you can saint on your own." <laughs> Did you ever call her Mary with a cherry growing up? No, which does totally a CCD thing. Yeah, Mary with the cherry, BBM. Oh, with the cherry. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, cherry yeah. of her chastity. Um, um, the hymen is apparently a cherry or cherry flavored. I don't know. That's not my department. <laughs> um, I'll interview on that later. The uh, astounding thing, also in addition to the hair growth, is that uh, the people who come to molest, rape and physically assault her are blinded mm. um that the the hairy growth and these other things um there there is interpretation that like you just talked about with with stars of hairy comets that uh i think in one there's a carol that i believe is either Ossetan or catalonian mm. to find it um that refers to her uh as being a, a definite descendant of noah who as a baby blinded you know the the blinding his own son through seeing them naked but mm-hmm. like as a baby was also glowing and considered horned according to one account so horns and hair being parallels for emitting light mm-hmm. and this pure light there too um so the chaste flame or, or what this is so uh it's a marker of her divinity of her marriage to god mm-hmm. it just as moses marriage results in his own horns or these other things going on so yeah. that comparing her to Noah and the ability to blind those who would try and abuse her mm. um, is is quite interesting. And she's not just called, you know, a, a filthy Christian by these, you know, heathen sources. She's explicitly called a witch and an enchantress because these people are blinded, uh, which is, yeah, very interesting in terms of looking at the, you know, taking forward that um, notion that Peter French and other people have put forward about uh, querying that saintness. Uh, the, 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 the cult of the saints is some kind of natural extension of uh, ancestor hero worship uh, by by pagans and it would have looked very similar where it's another one of those ways in which it seems early Christian stuff is actually looked at a lot more uncomfortably um, mm-hmm. in terms of mucking about with uh, bodies and things like that. Yeah, we've you know they've talked about this at the in in a few of our in-person talks too of just the the cult of saints is, a cult of the restless dead mm. by, by classical necromantic terms yeah. to not bury a saint and to divide its body apart and then demand miracles of it is, is kind of um, pretty badass witchery in the old school Eastern Mediterranean. Like deliberately designing it to be restless. Yeah, and therefore leaves open for the possibility of any relic that is named, it's going to perform the miracle because it's being tortured. Mm-hmm. So there's the thing of I'll give you this new home and give you all these offerings and have the sacrifice of the mass for your eternal rest. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that you're not actually Agnes. Right. Although Agnes's skull is in Rome mm-hmm. and there's quite a few churches dedicated to her, but one that is over the place of the catacomb where she was buried and another where uh, her skull is kept uh, separate. And it's a very, very clean skull for being 2,000 years old. Oh, yeah? Um, you can see uh, Wikipedia has a, a good picture of it. Hmm. Um, primary source now, Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> the other side of it with Agnes that I find uh, interesting is it's a, an early discussion or portrayal of relics 
mm. in that the blood that is spilled on the, I think it's the stadium floor where she is finally beheaded slash stabbed in the throat, very similar to Lucy, who dies by her own end. Yeah, the, similar means the is, phrase is something like he orders, what is it, Aspasius uh, orders that a, a sword be put in her body, which I don't know if that's a, a translation from the, the Latin to sound that odd, but there's, there's something about that. that <laughs> well, it's very phallic penetration, right. like finally, like, yeah. we have pierced her. Mm-hmm. But that the blood, which is the final, the actual piercing of the body, is mirrored to the hymen and the first blood mm-hmm. of the Drata Senor type of, of attitude, mm-hmm. that Christians mopped up her blood on pieces of cloth and saved it mm-hmm. um, to honor it. And there is not just her bones that were honored, but various shrouds of Agnes that were also relics. Ah. And um, uh, supposedly uh, there are... Uh, French and Spanish customs of the shrouds being passed down in families and mm-hmm. or the shroud when it would disintegrate that the, the, the youngest girl would eat the ashes and then um, would prick herself or, and her blood would have Agnes's uh, essence and grace to keep in it, it going. to keep it going. That's fascinating. So there was like this preservation of Agnes and, and again tying it to the lamb because Agnes is often depicted with a lamb mm. even though martyrs aren't Traditionally, just lambs. That's mm-hmm. that's Jesus in her arms on, on some level. Mm-hmm. But that Agnes and Agnus are inextricably linked and that she doesn't just have the palms of martyrdom or the lily of martyrdom, that she is actually tied to the slaughter of the lamb and the the that she is a fitting bride for Christ, that she literally carries Jesus in her arms, but not as a human, because frankly, babies in your arms as your husband is creepy, right? <laughs> um, but that... which. There was actually a really good um, viral video going around on the uh, Liber AF uh, <laughs> that was uh, describing the art, art history context of why Jesus looks like a really creepy old man. Mm-hmm. And it's the belief in the homunculus oh. that Jesus was from for a while. The doctrine basically said that he was fully divine and fully human from the beginning and therefore was a little man that grew up to be a big man. And so as a child, he looked like an old man hmm. and grew into it. Right. Um, which you don't want to depict him as a baby because he didn't have the same infantile things. He didn't, you know, shit his green diarrhea all over himself. Right, right, right. He's, um, he's, he's he leaves that for those of us and... that have the flu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and judging you. Yeah, yeah judging. <laughs> judgy, judgy Jesus. There are instances with talking about permutations of her name where it looks like she gets um, drafted into grimoire litanies uh which look like they're talking about and all the angels and a, a couple of typos uh turn it into the agnes's and it becomes agnes um uh, joseph h peterson has pointed out a couple of those specifically in the anilos uh, uh formula if you like or the names of three of the angels that turn up in certain scrying operations and specifically certain like modular scrying operations that you call these three angels that stand on the right um, when you're doing this uh, scrying and then once they've turned up you can do other exercises as well um, exercises operations I suppose the idea of modular operations but yeah she's specifically linked um, to those three um, and it's likely that, that that word which might not even be angels becomes angels and then from there through copying and bizarre handwriting and things like that eventually becomes Agnes. So she mm. gets inserted back in via uh, uh, another form of, another permutation of, of, of her name. That's interesting. <coughs> Excuse me. She also has the very witchy thing of 
they attempted to burn her at the stake, but the, the post would not light. Mm-hmm. And this is why they ordered the execution by sticking a sword in her. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, tying to a big stick and the flyer doesn't go. Mm-hmm. Infertility. Um, eventually go, varying into fertility. And, and lambs themselves being associated with fertility is this whole interesting thing with the play of chastity, the play of lamb in springtime and what this is. Mm. And I find, uh, again, that her feast in late January when the earth is still frozen in the Northern Hemisphere, and we know that this does influence Catholic popularity of feasts, mm. um, that Agnes in some ways is starting to warm the earth up with her blood, mm. um, preparing it for Blaze and Agatha to and Candlemas to really instill the fire and to allow Lady Day by March to come mm-hmm. and to allow Easter to I especially come. like this link with Candlemas because I uh, I get a lot out of um, making... Um, Candles. Thread. Well, well yeah, making... making, making no, 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 yeah. But making the, the thread, whether that's... The idea of the virgin thread is very popular in uh-huh. the number of Grimoric works, and I, I find her day a good day to do that in terms of a, you know, one of the early and, and most important virgin saints of virginity and chastity itself. Uh, then also, you know, being in some of those operations like the Verum, that you, you, you ask a, a maiden to make that as well. So yes. it isn't just virgin in terms of never being used before but it's 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 made by a, a virgin as well so imbuing it with that that virtue and that idea of spinning on that day or, mm-hmm. or 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 even weaving maybe uh you know thread mysteries not mysteries that kind of stuff so the idea of making a, a wick of some kind to be ready for for candlemas is well i would cool. say i would hesitate to put wick, um not on it right away only from extant practice evidence mm-hmm. but that that starts to come in with blaze so uh northern the, the northern crosses, spain the candles the thread the yarn that mm-hmm. is spun from sheep's wool on saint agnes's day saint agnus's day um becomes uh threads that are worn around the throat on saint blaze's day and knotted for the first time so okay. the knotting becomes a kind of fixing point yeah yeah, yeah. once the warmth is more there yeah, that makes sense. but the shearing has already happened obviously because you, you wouldn't necessarily shear sheep on January 21st, right. but the idea of spinning, that that is a good time to spin, that you must start preparing the threads that are going to be used in devotional acts as well as wearing and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But the start of the throat, the warming of the throat to announce spring, the throat must be the voice, uh, must go out warm, mm-hmm. that it could not be cold, that you must keep blazes. And blazes, yes, has the two candles, and maybe that's another great saint for us in the future. Um, the nodding seems to happen later, at least... Again, you're going to go British, I'm going to go Iberian. <laughs> but it, the, the, there does seem to be some evidence for it, but certainly spinning. Mm. Um, and I'm a big fan of uh, virgin spun thread, uh, especially I have nun spun thread, which is pretty close to the same thing, even though the nuns I get it from. Um, that's, you know, they're, they come to the abbey later in life. Mm. But I also have known those sheep and worked along those sheep, <laughs> and it's a really lovely thing to be like, I know whose wool this was. <laughs> So I think there's a lot of wonderful domestic goddess divinity, female divinity. Yeah, uh, I mean things the, that are happening at this time of year. The only uh, of the pagan gods in the Golden Legend that she is named for not um, worshiping. Uh, it, it isn't just a generic set of our pagan gods. It's uh, it's 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 Vesta and the Virgins specifically. So you're saying that paganism might be an umbrella term as opposed to a specific <laughs> Imagine path. that. Right. Uh, okay. But yes. But she's mentioned specific. Uh, yeah. The, 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 the Vestal Virgins are mentioned specifically there. Well, the idea of 
the lactation, which happens with Agatha mm. coming up, this idea of the breastless saint, mm -hmm. which is an obsession for me, given the practices, again, in, in Spain, <laughs> um, and her liking to the pruning and these types of things, that uh, we are nourished by the breastless one, and that's that's a whole other topic, not, not Agatha yet, but that there is a link here in Agnes that her own... There is a woman that is it's at her tomb, and the saint's name is uh, Marentiana. Emerentiana. Oh yeah, Marentiana. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, the, that the, is the, the one that recovers uh, Agnes's body and uh, takes it away to be. She's the daughter of the wet nurse, sanctified. though. Oh. So she's the daughter of the woman who breastfed Agnes, which I find very interesting. That the linking of them makes them milk sisters. So there is already this other saint that followed her example and was eventually killed as well mm -hmm. and canonized. Mm -hmm. And uh, she is, for the Anglophiles out there, um, it's Emerentiana, Emerentiana mm -hmm. and Agnes that are depicted on the cup at the British Museum. Link in the footnotes. <laughs> um, the royal... Royal Cup of Gold, Royal Gold Cup, mm -hmm. something or other, mm -hmm. that's like 13th or 14th century. Um, you know, I actually have notes and probably could look at them. The assertion that Agnes is... The argument is not just for chastity, but for identification, for self-definition. Mm. That she redefines womanhood on her terms as a martyr. It's not just following a model when she does it. It's this is what I have decided. I have given my my marriage bed to Christ, right, right. as opposed to, well, I'm going to be chased because that's what you have to do. Right. So the emphasis is is interesting because she seems to be so self assertive in these legends that say that she grew a beard, even if it's not just more body hair. Mm -hmm. Um, to put is it to put off people? Is it to evidence that she understands? Is she becoming a sheep? Mm -hmm. Is it wool that she grew? Mm -hmm. um, all these different ideas that have come in. Um, yeah, we get the merging of her and the sheep as well in the. Agnes Day in the, yeah. the, the, the wax tablet, which becomes a thing certainly after the Reformation for a bunch of the probably Protestant writers uh, to lump a bunch of old Catholic practices in with what gets with the necromancies that are associated with uh, Roger Bacon. And so this idea of this uh, Baconian or pseudo Baconian necromancy has as one of its main features when it's written about, well, these necromancers uh, make animal sacrifice or they make sacrifice of wax images of animals. And so the very, you know, the, the, the most. Like the Chinese paper things. Mm -hmm. Right, 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 right. So the most uh, 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 chaste and, 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 and uh, uh, Jesus y of, the, of, of, of these, you know, lovely images of, 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 a, of a lamb becomes the the very thing of like well this is this is done in a bad way and this is this is proof of its its full um uh, inversion into a, a nigromantic practice of some kind wax figures are great too because of what you can incorporate into them and mm -hmm. the idea of virgin wax yeah. being a really big sacrifice not to just use your, use your wax drippings right although you could make the argument magically that if you're burning candles during certain hours and things like that that mm -hmm. those wax drippings are great to yeah. collect all of the mars drippings or all of the venus drippings mm -hmm for our kind of cataloging, warehousing. Especially for a secondary part of an activity. If the first part is opening a road, for instance, and the second part you need to secure what comes down that road mm -hmm. or, 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 or nail something down, then using the, 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 the mess of that work uh, is entirely apt because it reminds the work that this thing has already been done. We've already done that. We've already opened the road. Now is the time to for that 
prosperity or that thing we need to fix to be to be fixed. And I, I bees are a whole other topic of, of wonder for me, but maybe we'll uh, broach that broach that topic. Mm-hmm. Let's not breach that topic. That sounds painful. <laughs> um, broach that topic with uh, Saint Rita. Oh yeah. Um, maybe in May, mm-hmm. because uh, the idea of bees and the labor and the industry as well as the freemasonic connections and things like that um as, a, as an emblem of industry and the but, idea of, of of the the melissa and and honey and you know that's many 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 links to to you know necromancies of antiquity the preservation nature of honey and things like that and, and propolis and the cult that goes around that but the, the the wax candles themselves in many cultures um especially in in uh, iberia and france of the first thing you do after someone dies is go and tell the bees that the master of the house is dead because they have to make candles. Right. And you want those candles to be of virgin wax. They should be, the thing mm. that lights them into paradise should be virgin and not used for another purpose. Mm. Um, but mm. that also, you know, something to explore. Even mentioning Rita here of, uh, Rita did not enter the convent as a virgin. She was a mob wife, basically. Mm. And her husband and, and children were killed. Um, uh, magically her son's possibly killed by her own wishes. Hmm. Um, that's that's the deal. But uh, that she is associated with bees that, that produce a specific uh, sound, odor, honey, hmm. and that it is an emblem for those that are not dying the perfect martyrdom death of a young, chaste girl, that working hard in your life and dedicating yourself to a cause is also produces a sweet substance to hmm. God. Hmm. And therefore it is not just that you have to guard your hymen like it's um like it's your hymen in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. But uh that there is something more. There is a different definition that is possible. And I think Agnes opens the way up for both, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. That she is both the perfect chaste offering and chastity emphasizing here that chastity is not about virginity but about canonically proper application of sexuality where you're not using sexuality for its own um, to distract you from your purpose mm. would be the my my liberal folk Catholic interpretation <laughs> as opposed to when you're not using your sexuality for making babies. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, if that's the case then. <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole nother. Anyway, <laughs> that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but uh, not to apologize. I'm not a Catholic apologetic on that. I think no, but I think that's worth, as other. you said, I think that's worth bearing in mind that this this is the idea of of inventing a tradition of um, of chastity, not of, of of obeying what one is is meant to do. Yes, which is there is a, a genuine connection between Agnes as the the Lamus of God, mm-hmm. the You of God. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think that's technically Rachel in the Bible. Rachel means Lamb of God. Mm. Is that correct? I think so. And Leah is described with cow eyes. Mm. But, um, oh, thank you, CCD. Like that. Cow- yeah, they don't say anything except she has cow eyes. And there's the whole mandrake thing that happens between them of trading mandrakes so that Leah could sleep with Jacob mm-hmm. before Reba- uh, Rachel and, yeah, anyway. <laughs> mandrake, that's a whole other topic. Mm-hmm. Rachel and Leah, whole other topic. <laughs> Rachel. Hmm. Uh, so, okay. I don't really know how to segue into one of the other topics. Well, there's a couple angles. So one is we can talk about lambs and, you know, I get to use my one of my favorite words, terroir. And we can talk about the kind of things that you grow around lambs so that when they eat it, their 
flesh is 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 flavored, which would be like in into rosemary. So, so you could just say I want the meat to taste better. It's... Well, there's there's that angle. There's he's the... saying this, and he's a vegetarian, mind you. It's true. It's true. Uh, When's the last time you ate lamb? Lamb. Uh, I don't know, like many years, over a decade, yeah. a decade and a half. Yeah. You can still shout mint sauce at them though. <laughs> Mint sauce. That's still fun. Minty. <laughs> and the, I mean, the other extension I can make is that the, what do you rub on amber? Mm-hmm. Wool to oh. make the electro guns. Oh right. To yes, make yes, it yes, to yes, make yes, it yes. electra. Yeah, yeah. Um, is uh, wool because mm. of the increase of static electricity. It's like we planned this, but really I just threw a bunch of easy topics for us to discuss to make <laughs> sure that we recorded and get it underway. Um, and of course, Sagatana, uh, amongst other things, uh, claims to. Uh, teach or preserve the mysteries of the shepherds, whatever that means. They capitalize the S shepherds there. So there's a couple. And Volulu is connected to Sufism, and which is derived from wool hats and clothing. So <laughs> we can justify anything. Yeah. And populace <laughs> is a herd of sheep. Yeah, that's actually you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And protection magic. Mm-hmm. Watch out for those wolves dressed as sheep. Yeah. And strength. Maybe that's maybe that's a, a woman. That's Agnes holding that lion. Mm-hmm. You never know. With a um, virtue. Yeah, with lust, as <laughs> as the Book of Thoth mm-hmm. might say. Now that we've gone through all our topics, we can end the show. I think. Um, <laughs> and good night. But okay, uh, let's just we now that we've actually found a segue into anything. Let's let's start with Rosemary because mm-hmm. why not? This well. uh, this I'm going to see to Al because the man has a personal Rosemary cult, and I like Rosemary. <laughs> But everything comes back to Rosemary for Al. It does a little bit. I so. was putting it in most things. Well, one of the reasons I was putting it in most things for a while, along with cumin, is the idea of the retentive quality of it. Now, uh, the Picatrix will say, well, satin is the great retainer. And uh, that's that's probably the case in terms of... It fixes the overbites. Yeah, exactly. Yep. The, 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 the teeth, uh, the bones of the face. Uh, the, again, a very satinine uh, thing, potentially. I like the idea of a working remembering itself to keep working. That was one of the reasons why I was, I was using... I was using rosemary for Remembrance. Yeah, Rosemary for Remembrance. So Apologies, Mr. Bard. Were they... Yeah, in the... Uh, when we... What is it? It's Hamlet, right? Uh, yes, and it's, it's, it's Ophelia. Ophelia talking. Right, 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 right. The so, name of my first car. Oh, yeah? Because Volkswagen bugs float. Did, did, <laughs> <laughs> did she eventually get, get to a nunnery? Uh, she visited nunneries. Yeah. She visited nunneries, yeah, and I went yeah. to school at a, at, a, at a Franciscan monastery. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. No, it's because bugs float. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a... <laughs> there's hope for Ophelia yet. <laughs> That's glorious. Ophi, for short. Aww. 72 Volkswagen white bug with a baby blue right front fender because she got in an accident. Love that car. Anyway, uh, Rosemary for Remembrance. Yeah, which is... Not just a Renaissance English thing, but we seem to find records of it in ancient Greece, in Egypt, where it's also used in funerary rites. Uh, I like the the fact of ancient Greek uh, school kids weaving rosemary into their hair as a sort of smart drug for for exams. Um, and so, and yeah. knowing that rosemary is actually really good for the hair, right. the oil in it is exceptionally good for the follicles as well as strengthening the hair and getting rid of split ends and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's a natural conditioner, the oil. Um, it's also the one that comes up most often in terms of scientists now prove what herbalists have been saying for years with a, a bunch of those tests on memory. They know that herbalism is still based on science, just 
older versions of observation, right? Right. Right. Um, it's not always just. Yeah, empiricism was not invented in the fifteen hundreds, <laughs> shall we say? <laughs> Rosemary is also, uh, yes, the funerary herb side of it shouldn't be. I know we'll we'll talk about it many times, but it is a prime necromantic herb in in that way that coffins and bodies were both stuffed with it. Yeah. Um, because it 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 guards against the malodorous. Effluvia. Yeah, it's a strewing <laughs> herb. So, I mean, it's good for any of those things. And, and, and like most strewing herbs, being crushed underfoot, it produces its its odors and is, is some way kind of like not fully aerosolized, but like getting into the air in some way. And as such, it has all those connections with chasing away bad spirits, unclean spirits, uh, malevolent spirits, mischievous spirits, that kind of thing. Uh, and certainly, again, it's tied to the home in terms of that idea of... Uh, uh, plants of it outside the front door and, 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 mm-hmm. and taking some there's a, a spanish proverb about he who does not stop to pick the a, a piece of a twig of rosemary um will never fully respect women or will never um prosper around women or any phrase around there so it's also associated specifically with feminine power as well well the little blue flowers are said to get their color from when mary was washing her clothes she put her cloak upon it which mm-hmm. was blue because yeah, yeah. virgin mary is blue clad ladies robe yeah. and so it becomes the rose of mary mm-hmm. they're, they're dyed blue it's actually um one of the mexican christmas songs talks about the little fishes in the river while this is going on and Aww. coming to watch the baby jesus bathing bathing they say be born but like really it's like washing her robes uh, after he's been born in the stream and this, like putting her clothes this on the idea of epiphany being um christ's coming out as it gets called and the, yeah. this this coming out is <coughs> there's, the, there's the birth as a kind of epiphany of like here he is world but the the main one being his baptism the theophany yeah but the theophany is later on in his life from john's hands mm-hmm. uh but the i was finding interesting because the, the emphasis too and the idea that the circumcision of, of Jesus becomes now the solemnity of Mary as well as a, as the thing. But his the circumcision also is the the prophecy of Saint Simeon mm-hmm. and acknowledging that this is this is the Messiah and this Mary takes and ponders mm-hmm. in her heart. Mm-hmm. Um hiccups what? are limiting. Um <laughs> one of those things about it being not just placed on tombs uh, or on um, coffins, is that it was also held uh, in procession. So we don't just have that notion of the grave mm-hmm. and of the corpse in the grave, but of the souls marching in line to honour the dead as well. Makes sense. Um, I could see it being... I, I, I feel it firsthand being blurred with many other facts about cemeteries <laughs> and processions in my head. But uh, I have seen rosemary wreaths on Newgate's. Mm-hmm. On uh, not, not uh, oh. uh, Lish, Lishgates, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, in in uh, first hand in in the UK. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, the uh, Santa Campana, Campania, um, I just changed it from Holy Procession to Holy Bell. Um, <laughs> that's what happens when you just start floating in snot. Um, the Santa Campania is um, a procession of souls that exists in 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 Spain, uh, and a lot of Spanish. Uh, lore in the new world as well uh it's a little bit like the wild hunt uh but rosemary is associated with that that you can actually um avert the way that it goes by mm. strewing rosemary in a, in a different okay. path but the concept of ghost roads and dead roads is very prominent in spain that your house especially among the basques and the and the asturians and the catalonians of um the from the door 
to the cemetery, from the front door of your house to the cemetery, there is a road that is owned by the house. It is the property of the house, but the house is dead. Mm. And similarly, you see this in uh, Mexican extension about Day of the Dead, that the marigolds must line the ghost road right, right. to the cemetery. Mm-hmm. And rosemary and rue are the other herbs that are sometimes strewn, yeah. strewn with uh, marigold, mm-hmm. um, especially rosemary, just because it's so fragrant, and the, the marigold and the rosemary are really strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, some groups don't like the rue just because it's said to get rid of... Um, uh, restless dead. Mm-hmm. Um, other groups love it because it gets rid of restless dead. Right, right, right. So it's like, who are you praying for and who are you inviting home? I have heard it being called elf leaf uh, rosemary as huh. well, or at least ri- written about. And 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 there's there's, there's a couple of examples of uh, sprites and uh, the way in which various natureish, uh, feyish kind of beings get lumped in with the dead as well, and specifically about their paths and also against snakes. And, and that which dwells under things. That makes sense. So that kind of, yeah. Any Marian herb too has that right, 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 wonderful right. connection. There is um, there is an oil that I have a recipe for. They're actually made for the store that deals with uh, the Garden of Gethsemane oh. and specifically has to have rosemary flowers in bloom that are added fresh. And it's interesting because it, um, the fresh ingredients always change in oil, right? And it can add an element of rot if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, in this older oil making, yes, sometimes the smell is, is um, a guarantee or a, or a sign that the work is going one way. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of them, the smell is, is always secondary to right. the purpose of it. And the oil has barely any smell but affects miracles because it's, you know, sometimes a neutral smell is good, especially when you have dead things in there. Mm. Um, but a sign that it's been quelled in yes, some way. Yeah, and sometimes a slight hint of rot happens. Sometimes and other times it gets kind of floral or sharp or dirt-like. Mm. And it's the other things that balance out over time. Uh, Which is interesting in terms of rosemary as I think one of its main qualities if we were to keyword it would be purifying. It yeah. purifies the memory. It doesn't it isn't about keeping hold of things in the way that cumin or other saturnine things might be. Uh, it's it's about purifying the memory uh, of removing uh, the taints and and corruption and preserving and so I can see why it has those solar connections to it very often. Yeah, there's actually some recipes of of rosemary oil being used to treat rust, but I think that's more of an association thing of like the mm. the, the worms that eat metal. Right. Um, but rosemary is is so pervasive and it has such a strong recognizable smell that it's so interesting that like I've had people propose that its reason for remembrance is because it's one of the few herbs people remember. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the the notion of it being a primary herb for the cemetery in Kimanda. It's it's one of the first listed for the Kalunga kingdom. So the kingdom of the cemetery or the kingdom of Kalunga Grandi, which is the ocean acting as a cemetery, this boundary between. And it does have a very water-like It's very important in bats, right? In a massive. Yeah. Yeah. And this idea of uh, initiations sometimes can be done solely with a few uh, succulents and rosemary. And it's the rosemary is because of the the vibrancy of the smell, which is heavily used in, in Latin American traditions from both indigenous and African influence, but that um, its its relationship to the cemetery comes from European sources, but is readily and absolutely <laughs> appropriated um, through syncretism of like it like in Mexico. If we jump back there, rosemary replaces native plants. The Spanish forbade certain plants to be grown. Um, 
just as marigolds are a replacement for another plant. So it stands there in remembrance, in remembrance of something else. Yes. It's... Of, a, of a thing that was crushed by colonialism. <laughs> yes. And so it, the, uh, Mary comes and steps on the serpent of the natives yeah. and replaces things with her own herbs. Huh. Um, and so the, the coating of, uh, and the blinds even, of certain Marian herbs are either indigenous herbs of great medical or spiritual import. Um, and other plants get other names. Mm. Um so it's just a, it's an interesting conundrum. I I find also the variance in uh, rosemary essential oil smells, depending on where it grows and uh, the camphor content mm-hmm. that happens. So you can get a very camphoritic and it, it ends up, sage and rosemary can have more camphor than actual camphor. Right, right. Um, just the smell of it, or it can be very subdued and have a, 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 a different smell. Um but rosemary being one of those plants that people often talk about, you must ignore it. You must forget about rosemary for it to thrive um, when you're growing it. Because if you overwater it, overtend to it, that it, it, it doesn't do well. Uh-huh. Um, it's also used in floral crowns uh, to weave in Queen of the May things. So when you're adding in the flowers oh, yeah, to wear yeah. on the head, it because of its Marian associations, it becomes a crown of life as opposed to the crown of thorns. And so you'll see a lot of... Um, uh, temporary crowns that are given to like Santisima Muerte in Mexico are made out of rosemary, which echoes the crown of thorns, but you're not putting a crown of thorns on her. It's it's a standard feature in the um, the Middle Ages, the troubadours, the lays of the troubadours often call it a uh, coronaria. Like they, it's literally huh. the the crown guy uh, or the that's crown so lady plant. Um, so yeah, and it's that's a it's a it's a long standing thing in terms of garlands of it being placed on tombs and on, on coffins, wreaths of of rosemary and bay, right? Another necromantic herb. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Hmm. It's also certainly in terms of crowns. Uh, it was something that I was uh, using to aid memory to build a a crown of it, um, and uh, while I was I was studying and trying to uh, you know core a bunch of information that needed to be kept in my brain in my brain uh and making offering of those to the three kings is also a, a, a practice found all over the, the place three the kings of, magi or three kings demons uh oh oh, oh, oh magi okay just, just clarifying it's your mouth i don't know which one sometimes if i'm talking four kings then i'll usually say regents to distinguish if i'm talking the three chiefs uh who, who in the Magi, uh, from a 12th century mystic having a vision of them uh, taking their crowns off in front of Christ and then uh, having them blessed and put back on, would, were about giving their crowns as much as receiving them. And that could be a monetary, like a crown. That was a, a, a thing that English uh, kings did, along with giving the gifts of, of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Uh, but they, I was I was making them out of rosemary um, uh, for for a while for, for for those kinds of crowning reasons and that purifying stuff. And uh, I have talked to a couple of uh, folks who said that their Hispanic, uh, you know, uh, older relatives, their abuelas, would cleanse with cleanse the house with franken uh, with rosemary stalks. Mm-hmm. Um, rosemary in, and rue are very common for for limpias and limpiezas, depending the. The term changes. Romero is is heavily used for for herbal passings. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think also because even as much as rue can be used, it's used in tandem with rosemary, but there's this past, this habit of breaking something after you've cleaned off somebody with it. So right. rosemary snaps, whereas rue really doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, but rue and rosemary are the the couple that are the they they absorb and purify and cleanse and correct mm. in the 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 pasas over the body mm. and the copal and or frankincense and myrrh whatever the resins are are the things that um, that fumigate the, the the room so and interestingly right so there's dark and light copal mm -hmm. and that's the frankincense and myrrh parallels when they don't have those yeah, that yeah, they yeah, use yeah. light copal and dark copal mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's very interesting. We get a bunch of stuff with rosemary uh, about it being used in various formulas for youth. Uh, Hungary water, as it was called at one point, heavily uses rosemary oil and this idea of uh, the a plant of immortality in some cases in some of the, the French florography, uh, language of the flowers. And that's interesting in light, again, if we are comparing uh, or, or, or talking about it in parallel with Agnes, this idea of like a return to to youth and innocence and those kinds of things. Hmm. And again, the idea of it uh, removing blemishes. I totally uh, thought you were done. <laughs> <laughs> that scared me. <laughs> um, removing blemishes, okay. Yeah, you know, warcraft and things like that. But again, the idea of, of purifying, of cleansing, of, of being brought back to some kind of... The, the virginal state that you are brought back to rather than that which is is lost forever, you mm. know, and is guarded mm -hmm. like something that can't be, um, you know, that, uh, that can't be reachieved. I'm with you. I'm just going to straight segue into Amber then. Mm -hmm. um, Amber, in addition to being like a Jurassic Park thing, because that's pretty, <laughs> let's face it, it's pretty fucking cool, um, the <laughs> preservation of ancient DNA mm -hmm. in tree sap, and it could, you know, I could stretch it to say, Kopal, you know, Amber, Amber is is fossilized, old, tumbled, water, waterborne, <laughs> oftentimes, copal, mm. uh, mm. whereas copal is fresh. Um, but amber, there's a lot of synthetic amber out there, and there's man-made amber that's actually from tree sap sometimes, and the mark of good amber is that you could still burn it, and it would smell like tree resin. Yes, looking at like ancient amber beads that seem to have been deliberately broken and mm -hmm. then put back together, one of the ways they're put back together is with... Uh, with 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 iron wire or with some kind of metal wire, uh, and and it seems the wire is heated until it melts into the two pieces of amber to hold them together. So it isn't lashed. It's it's they're, they're little stitch like looking things. And the value of it too is that yes, it occurs in many places around the world. But you talk to, talk about the Baltic amber trade, mm. and that it is specifically Baltic amber in Europe that is so heavily traded, and of, and of value. So in addition to its properties as a stone that causes electricity that, that has the Electra itself that is rubbed with wool and creates a static charge. Right. It's that, it, it's 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 a magic stone. It yes. Like, it it produces tangibly magical effects. Mm hmm And then it's also prized because it is expensive yeah. on top of it that it's traded for. So the different uh, associations with amber you know, this because of its color, because of its emanating energy, a, a very solar, um, immediately solar mm -hmm. connotations, um, its association with life and uh, invisible forces very quickly there. Um, According to Ovid, it is the tears of the Heliads who were transformed into trees and are mourning their dead brother, Phaethon. 
next book okay. into the Metamorphoses. Uh, this is in Claude Lacuto's uh, Lapidary. Uh, and similarly, a Christian legend uh, says that Amber was born there from the tears shed by pine trees during the flood. So again, we get, uh, we get, we get Noah turning up again. Noah and making those pine trees cry. I guess it was really Jesus. Uh, Jesus. I just blame the flood on Jesus. <laughs> um, Time traveling Jesus. Well, you know, he is pre-eternal and pre-existing, mm-hmm. but um, thus saith, saith John, mm-hmm. but that, that Father God makes the pine trees cry. Mm-hmm. Making the baby Jesus cry. Lakuto also goes on to frustratingly uh, hand wave and say, in other traditions, they are the tears of seabirds. So I don't know which traditions they are. Okay. But again, we have a, a sort of maritime connection as well. Yeah, I'll bring it all back to the whole thing of the rosemary being a Kalunga herb and that being the ocean in some form and mm-hmm. the seabirds are flying over and the, yeah. Pine, as the source of, of what this is, that sap is fossilized in this way, but pine as a mourning tree is always interesting to me. Mm. Um, the pine wood box, mm-hmm. because it's it's a cheap wood. Right. Um, pine is really the basic wood of construction. If you're you know t- that you're gonna hide, you don't want to build permanent things out of your pine un- mm-hmm. unless you're me, and then all of your furniture is built out of pine. Um, we but, also have that thing of uh, that sometimes gets talked about in terms of hoodoo traditions of the two main sets of smells that's that 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 we agree smell clean depending on particular cultural markers or whatever are often the pine ones and the lemony ones mm-hmm. or pine saw which is both right um pine sol <laughs> uh, uh pine itself being associated with funerary practices again in iberia because of after a certain point it's there's a pine line on a mountain and only pine grows above it mm. and small grasses. So the other trees can't grow above a certain height. And therefore mm. the closer things to the sky, God, the closer things to heaven are actually pine trees. Is there any crucero lore around pines? Um, not that I know of. I mean, the, the pinon in, in Brazil is a different tree. It looks very much like a Dr. Seuss tree mm. and you eat the pine nuts from it. They look like little roaches. Mm-hmm. Um, it very much looks like a Dr. Seuss tree. I'll, 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 footnote a picture of it um but there are relatives of the pine down there it's just a very different tree tropically than than the evergreen mm. coniferous mm-hmm. trees um but also the the tree being promising ever 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 life <laughs> life everlasting mm-hmm. um and and the tree chosen of the saturnalia and the the tree magics of of, of yule mm. but um you know pine is is a difficult wood to burn because of its high sap content and the sparkling that happens from that. Um, but wonderful because it grows fast and uh, provides a basic support for other things. Hmm. Um, but it does sweat. It sweats the the, the resin. Right. Um, Very sticky. So it does, it does do that. And, yeah, pine gathered from, say, Greenwood Cemetery, uh, the, the pine resin there, um, you know, growing from the, the bones of the dead. Uh, and 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 these tears of mourning uh, again very useful for uh negromantic uh incenses uh-huh. i totally did a tangent on pine here but <laughs> you know the the red pine and white pine and the edibility of them and, and things like this that you can eat the the needles that when they're fresh and mm-hmm. um red pine uh, clusters of three white pine clusters of five like the letters and huh. um this uh moving into uh, needle-based plants and again, mm-hmm. uh, echoing crown of thorns type of things. Right, right. Um, 
The thing with Amber that's interesting too is that uh, a lot of times now the scent of Amber mm-hmm. is actually a substitute for Ambergris. Oh, okay. It's, it's a synthetic Ambergris. I we were going to go Storexy kind of um, territory there. But yes, right, Ambergris, which, you know, being incredibly expensive um, makes sense that it would uh, it would start attracting a number of substitutes. Yeah, so a lot of what we associate with Amber is you know, trying to be ambergris. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the, uh, this notion of it that, uh, I have a, there's an Indian group of incenses that I've purchased since I was a wee thing mm-hmm. from cost plus. <laughs> um, and it used to be like, I don't know, 99 cents, maybe three ninety nine now mm. for 105 sticks of very smoke producing, but very strongly scented incenses. And the, it used to be the, the one that said musk, was actually a picture of a whale on it, and it said amber mm. in parentheses. Mm. And it's talking about whale musk yeah, smells, yeah. which, you know, just this idea of ambergris smelling like that. Um, true ambergris is, is quite amazing when you smell it. Um, and I think, you know, it, yes, it might be a stretch to incorporate too much lore about ambergris on an episode where we're talking about amber. But since they are often confused mm-hmm. that the scents are, are, are substituted, ambergris itself is 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 pretty damn amazing. Mm. Um and smells very different fresh than it does after it's been hardened and, and matured. Mm. Um, if you hear chewing, that's one of my rats deciding that he's making a guest appearance by watching us and, and pulling up a kernel of kibble. <laughs> it's, Bar- it's Bartholomew, the elder, the skin flayer. Um, okay, so Amber... We'd be remiss to not at least mention the the necklace of amber and jet that is that is now traditional to to traditional Wicca, um, the idea that this belongs to the high priestess, and there are many uh, arguments about this back in the the bulletin board days, the electric bulletin board days, and the old AOL days. I remember, again as a wee thing, uh, seeing the arguments about uh, can males wear it. Can mm. males wear the circlet of amber and jet, mm. um, and the flow that happens between dead matter, which is jet, which is fossilized, and, and living matter, which is amber, and the cycle of life and death and incarnation, and the the passing from priestess to priestess to priestess to priestess, who rules a coven, and of course we um, have a great deal of respect for the the impulse behind and the lore and the the sheer balls of early <laughs> Wicca, um, but. Uh, you know, I don't want to be nihilist and be like, it's every tradition is made up in its way. But I, I find it interesting that the dialogue was that it was a woman's thing and that there are many men who now wear it and will be called out by different priestesses oh, uh, for it. Um, that a single piece is very different from a circlet hmm. around the neck and that the garter and the amber and jet necklace are worn by priestesses. Hmm. The snake garter. And what's the... And, and that's the main set of criteria as to why it's amber and, and jet the, the living at least so is the the as it was told but i'm sure the pharaohs have a an explanation but that's <laughs> you know it's been it's been a good 20 years since i really dove into those books so um <laughs> but the memory of it is still there the static and the especially if you're sky clad that there's these simple tokens of mm. authority there's very few in the circle mm. and the, the garter and the woman girt with a sword who's carrying the sword and who is the maiden and who are these different things is important and so the jewelry makes sense and that it is a high priest and a high priestess that could possibly wear amber and jet yeah. but that really is the is the alternating patterns of mm. amber and jet belong belong to the high hp ps mm. is that right 
H P P S H P S S. I don't remember. <laughs> HBS. There mm-hmm. we go. Let's just put it that way. Hmm. Um, High Priestess. Uh, Amber is, as far as associations past that, is associated for me with Oshun. Mm-hmm. Um, and we use Amber uh, in the Oshun family. So Amber, uh, as a tree sap, could be given still not just to Oshun, but to her her son Ideu. The, the the child that was born after twins that was her beloved that she never let go of um, amber uh, especially with butterflies in it is you know the more valuable it is <laughs> the more interesting it is of course to Oshun mm-hmm. um, but it's also said to be why some people put orange or red um, the red stands for coral when we use a red bead many mm-hmm. times uh, as an accent but the the orange is often a uh, substitute for amber Okay. Or the idea of amber, mm-hmm. amber colored, and therefore Oya takes amber, um, as well as Oba. So there's a a notion, a, a flow of these these tree sap, this this blood of trees, and uh, oh, there's there's other things that w- I would love to talk about, but I'd also get slapped by my godparents. Um, <laughs> uh, Self preservation is a thing, right? Don't want to endanger the relationships you have. Uh, but there's some beautiful mysteries into uh, the winds and and the ch- the saps of the trees, mm. tree blood and this this type of thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, so amber is uh, is there uh, ambar, and is one of the primary colors of Oshunzeleke. Some houses it's very yellow, mm-hmm. and other houses use what they call honey colored beads or amber, mm-hmm. and amber looks like hardened honey. And produces this warmth from it, this spark. Right, right. Which and this is one of the central substances of of of, of Oshun, right? Of, of yeah. That when we offer her honey, we are encouraged often to taste it as well. Yes. Right. That it's not just a, a thing that we we only have her that she brings um, the flow of sweetness. Yeah, and and well, our myths say that it's it's actually to make sure that we didn't poison it because she was poisoned by honey. Mm. So it's proving to her that you're not offering her something that will kill her. But I like the much more positive spin that you just put on it. Of it's just sharing her sweetness. Um, sometimes we do put honey in the mouth or molasses in the mouth to uh, to sweeten our words, um, and, and so that when our ashe comes to our breath, that it is literally through a voice of sweetness. Um, it's interesting because you do that with amber and like charge yourself up all, up all with static electricity before you talk to a, a fast moving god like Mercury. What would it do? I don't know. Mm. Um, and touch the statue, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially if you've made um, gold being such a good conductor. If you've done gold leaf on any part of it, it could be very interesting mm. to move the current around. Huh. Experiments. <laughs> Experience. Um, yeah. What say you more about amber, sir? Well, amber? I don't... It's not something I've, I've used a great deal, um, honestly. I mean, looking through a couple of books on beads, which kind of started as early as we could go with beads mm-hmm. that, that, that yeah the idea of using tree sap or using things that we might think of like resins that we might think of more as as incenses as uh precious things that could be bored and then strung on something is really interesting i think the natural segue there is <laughs> to the hugely broad topic that we've locked in for ourselves which is protection magic just the nature of, of, of stone and herb lending themselves well to protection magic. Not that amber is by necessity always a protective mineral. Hmm. Certainly rosemary 
is uh... absolutely yeah <clears throat> and what do we you know protection can be defined in any not any number of ways but many numbers of ways and the idea of protection as cleansing cleansing as protection i mean this is what we you know we get from talking about prophylactic protection there right right we get that we get uh you know martial notions of of, of the, the 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 fiery cleanse of bleach or something um but also the idea of of, of a spurging and certainly that's something that rosemary is used of in a lot isn't simply to consecrate a space or to make it you know nice it's there's also a powerful sense of protection going on there protection for the operator and potentially pr protection for the the sets of spirits that are that are, are being pulled into that space mm -hmm. that's interesting it's like the uh uh pocket full of posies things right that you're actually protecting yourself from the bad airs the malaitis right. of disease and decay by holding something smelling good by your face it's not it's not just a a way to make you avoid the smell but mm -hmm. the, the smells actually contain the thing which is actually pretty scientific we just didn't know that it was until you know that when you smell something it's like every time you smell poop you're actually tasting poop too um <laughs> that it is tiny little molecules of poop 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 have gone up your news and you are on your tongue as well um right which is why i'm annoyed when people talk about how oh you know plague doctors only look like that to be scary and fetishy and cool uh, as opposed to having a, a tangible purpose to being able to stuff as many herbs down that big beak-looking thing as possible. Mm. An early respirator. So plague doctors wore that to be fashionable? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> to be fashionable and to, 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 to make um, Etsy shop sellers um, uh, feel creative. Well, I... Also, it's the the pantalone nose, like this this long phallic nose of mm -hmm. Commedia dell'arte. It's like all of a sudden that was my first association. I saw Plague Doctor masks later, mm -hmm. and I was like, "Why are all these Commedia characters administering to the to the dead and dying? Like, what's <laughs> going on here?" Um, and also that the masks themselves are often much bigger or much smaller. It, like it's a variance that doesn't look like a normal mask. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was curious for a second of. Uh, Oh, I forgot. Oh, well, go on. There was something really witty and punny that I was going to mm -hmm. say, and therefore, because it was witty and head-derived as opposed to actually something of interest, mm. I've just made an ass of myself. So, Well, getting um, at what like healing does, uh, which is how I wanted to think about uh, protection magic, not to already make the field even bigger, but the idea of, of healing <laughs> as like destroying something that is trying to destroy you, that there is uh -huh. a, a, war, a war potentially going on, in are we both around. having tea hiccups? Is that what's going on? Potentially, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, what are you call, drinking? We just call them hiccups. Are you drinking uh, Earl Grey? Yes. Okay. We're I'm twins today. Earl, Earl Grey Supreme. It's one of the few times we're drinking the exact same tea. Aww. I didn't used to put milk and honey in my tea, and now I do, and I feel like it just protects me from having bad tea. Mm -hmm. um, I'm tying it in. See what yeah. I did there? Um, so it looks... Oh, this is what I was thinking. It's, it's, a, non, it's, a, it's a tangent, but for many of us, um, bleach is a securing smell. And I'm curious, like, I wonder if someone could do a safe bleach incense, <laughs> because that would invoke cleanliness and protection to me mm. from, from, it would actually, it's a, it would fool you, of course, because maybe you didn't actually use bleach, but mm. the smell of bleach itself is something that many of us, Yay. and, and many, many Hispanic households, this, this, this overuse of bleach, mm. where you walk into the bathroom and suddenly you're finding yourself like you've been mustard gassed, <laughs> um, is, is quite a thing, and then, also, uh, for anybody that has ever been around uh, the 
the bugs that shall not be named for many people in New York. But if you've ever had bed bugs, um, which many people have, uh, it is uh, rubbing alcohol becomes your security blanket. And if you pour that over things, it, it, it kills them. So uh, the smell of rubbing alcohol mm. can be also one of those smells that is not pleasant, but evokes a pleasant security. Right. Uh, cleansing can be cleansing can be a protective act, just as protection can be a cleansing act. Yes, and this idea, if, as long as we don't take it quite to a an obsessive level yeah. of of now I've burnt my twenty sticks of bleach incense and I, I I'm okay. I'm um, compulsively misophobic. Yeah. Right. But this notion of protection is interesting because the, I think also the quality of what protection is has changed over the years. And there's different spell classifications that we do that might explore uh, the bridge from, from early modern concepts to other cultural conceptions of protection. Mm. The idea of is a, a good defense the best offense? Mm. Is the good offense the best defense? Um, in, in this way of are we talking aggression and even looking through the different planets for all of them can protect you from something Yes. so again if we're talking about if we've talked about as we have many times about health being holistic and that if you have a disease of, of money that you would be poor and that you're trying to figure out how to erase the poverty disease that right. it is just as uh, bodily health is its own thing so again uh, mercurial protection would be very different it might be in for, for protection from thieves as well as uh, lives Eyes, nightmares, uh, protection while traveling, mm-hmm. um, while traveling, not protection from traveling. Um, but this, <laughs> much this, more saturnine. Yeah. So this, the sedentary. Oh, <laughs> I invoke the sedentary cow god. The thrones. Um, <laughs> the uh, but each planet itself affording a different type of protection is absolutely yeah 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 yeah. And I think uh, yeah that health model is a really good example. As is the idea of the equilibrium that any planet can rule by contrary and by governance like yes by ennobled governance and that you can you can just as you can use any of them for, to protect you could presumably use any of them to unbalance to to curse for one of a better term uh, in that our model of suffering itself is so based on uh you know greek notions of of balance being the basis of not just harmony or beauty but also of of proper operation is and this this there is a pitfall here in in much modern thought of you know what is this herb used for what is this stone used for it's used for protection but if it's used for protection it can probably also be used for the antithesis destruction in some form even though its energy is something different there is a way to spin that right and that is a very common property in uh extant older traditions early modern practice uh this idea that both sides of something are contained mm-hmm. that the broom and the the dust are right. contained within each other, that fertility and infertility are contained within each other. Mm-hmm. And that this substance that can, following the maximum of one can turn to, oh my gosh, uh, I said, oh my gosh, instead, oh my God. Wow. It is this being sick takes you back to like being five years old. <laughs> um, but uh, if one can cure, two can kill. Mm-hmm. The, the, the balance of dosage itself is important in any of these things. Right. That it is not just the symbol of, of a plant mm-hmm. and what it is. It might be because, again, there's multiple layers to herbal associations mm-hmm. that can be mythological, chemical, appearance, or location-based. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, there's more than that, probably, but those are the four primary that, are, that come into mind constantly. And uh, protection might be 
a plant that's good for protection is one that forms a natural barrier. Right. Um, it might be one that binds things. Mm-hmm. It might. It could change. But these are based on physical properties, not necessarily a plant that is always growing that way, mm-hmm. or a location of a f- plants growing around a fort I tend would naturally have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but that's. I think that's fair because our tendency is often with protection to think about it as like pushing back on something, uh-huh. right? And so things that repel or antipathetic in some form are gonna have that quality of uh, that as well as that which borders right uh i suppose as well that which uh is it completely covers something as well that idea of like the, the completion of something the uh the totality of its like unbroken line around something as well uh which is always interesting to me in terms of red brick dust mm-hmm. and the idea of like grinding something down so that it forms something that can be perfectly malleable as each of the grains forms a, like a line the inclusion of ivory and incense yeah. to to echo the elephant tusk of drawing mm-hmm. a circle yeah to keep scorpions out mm-hmm. there's uh to have the ashes of a fire then be used to mark demarcate the boundary of the fire's reach mm-hmm. so that you also see where it, it can protect and the circles of influence the spheres um which in in some ways are forming um orbs mm-hmm. orbs of influence or orbs of protection yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, akin to planetary influence um Spheres. Yeah. Spheres. Circles. Mm-hmm. And the idea of the, 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 the static point that you turn around mm-hmm. uh, to produce the circle. I think that's interesting. Looking at the um, denigromancia, uh, a thing that I don't see as much of is the idea of like the runway that you open up and then close again to get into the circle uh-huh. and then close it off again. And so there's these various uh, circle diagrams um, with, yeah, with like this kind of magic runway. Uh, that's the that's the the kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for like airlock. Mm-hmm. Well, it co- carried over into modern neopaganism, right? Of, of the broom being the access point into the circle, and then if the broom is physically removed, then the access point is gone, and the super elastic bubble plastic of the of the <laughs> magic circle. Um, yes, Carol, I used your expression, um, a Georgian <laughs> priestess friend of mine. Um, but the notion too that the three dimensional sphere is not always as universal, that the physical circle itself is almost, um, because of the flat earth nature of cosmology here, that it, it goes down into the depths of hell mm-hmm. and goes high into heaven like an elevator. Yeah, it's this, and that this, it, this, this, this <laughs> cylinder. Yeah, kind of so it's, it's a pneumatic tube of, yeah, yeah. of spirit travel. Mm-hmm. And uh, that brings a whole different thing, like pathworking, right? <laughs> zoom, zoom, zoom. Yep. Um, I've seen people do glass elevator style uh, or talk about doing glass elevator style pathworking stuff. The okay. tree being that which you go up and down, you know, entering the tree and then going up and down in it, like having that quality. And there was a really beautiful argument once between, uh, it was like seven different Kabbalists from different traditions, um, including three very Orthodox Jewish interpretations on things, but talking about the the problem that the, the, the one-way flow of the Mesla flow, uh, is there and can you actually go up the tree? Hmm. Um, and, and what are you doing? Or are you actually going off of your memory as a spirit descending and therefore uh, memory is imperfect and cannot be trusted to be universal. It could be a personal thing, Mm -hmm. but your, your individual fall into matter informs your ideas of what the spheres above you are because the Mesla flows one way. So you cannot actually travel up, but merely down until such time as you are immaterial Mm -hmm. again. Which is nice that it's a, I mean, to, 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 that's 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 awesome. The idea of the fall not just being a punishment, but being like how we remember how to climb again, or at least uh, construct the, the the projections of, of those those rungs. That's really cool. I also uh, really like the idea of uh, rather than thinking about it only being stars and the Maslow and the and the, the fall of the the fruit of the stars that we 
think about it as a tree specifically because of course you've got the uh, the sap that rises and the sap that falls as 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 almost two separate the separate words for them right mm-hmm. in, in, in in many traditions um, yeah that that that's interesting the brought ourselves back to amber in some form there mm. uh, the sap that rises and falls uh, and creates static electricity which is funny because it means stasis mm-hmm. but you're talking about a high activity of, of also... almost a field that is formed around oh, it oh man that's also kind of populacy huh that's nice and protection from the crowd, god damn it. Um, <laughs> them, them out there yeah. at the point of my extended finger. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, Peter Gray. Uh, yeah, I mean, protection is a, magic is a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. There's also extensions of protection magic. Um, one of my favorites is uh, an election uh, that I used, uh, again, in, a, in an oil, but looking at Mars as a very scorpionic Mars. Um Yes, because traditional astrology, um, mm-hmm. but as a point of converting enemies to friends or at least to neutral, mm-hmm. and that this is a form of protection. That the transformative, mm-hmm. metamorphic mm-hmm. relationship magic is a form of protection. So this is a very specific one that, or that enemies will pass you by, mm-hmm. that you that you flit from their mind while they are near you, um, which is mm-hmm. you know it's another form of invisibility. Right. So, but it is. Uh, not a permanent invisibility. It's mm-hmm. that like they can see you from afar, but as they get close, uh, something changes. Right. Um, but okay. So if we go into this this segue that you lovingly pointed out of populace, populace of two 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 two, or complete mm-hmm. complete non elemental activity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what if, is it if it's not any of the if, four? If two is indeed if two dots in a geometric figure of the four lines of it uh, represents inactivity or passivity or uh, withdrawal uh, of some kind it's an interesting one because you've got the most dots capable uh, in, a, in a figure right all eight dots so you have the notion of it as the crowd right you have the notion of it being the most things uh, also the congregation those that gather around a specific thing you also have the notion of it being if we take instead of two being uh, inactive and, and 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 coming apart, we also have the notion of two coming together to get to one. So this this closing nature of it and this inactivity that it then breeds in various forms, uh, or or passivity, which uh, we can find expressed, I think, well through the idea that it can be both a dissipation where where nothing particularly happens, where when you need things to be free it is closed you are packed in like sardines when you need things to be packed in it it, it dissipates like 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 air in a in a room uh, that there's there's this this quality of it of it coming apart at the edges a little bit of uh, not not in a raggedy way but in a just like dissipating fashion right and that's why it is both the small town where nothing really happens and also um, the the tiny overbooked venue uh, where you can never get a table both of these things are kind of a populacy, which is odd because they, it, it's both um, an absence of activity and, in other cases, too much activity. Well, a perfect example for me was something your wife pointed out once. We were walking in a group. It's like nine occultists in a group walking to a restaurant after a talk. Um, I just call this occultists. No. Oh. Um, <laughs> It's we right. are the hidden ones. It's, just, self-de- it's self-deprecating. Just it's call right. us Aminette. Um <laughs> But we were walking and we hit a street corner and we were trying to decide which way to go. And it took 
an inordinately long amount of time because some people try to cross the street during a red light and other people are like, no, let's wait. Mm-hmm. And your wife was just like, and populous. <laughs> Which was a really... It, it might have actually been eight. I picked nine. But yeah, it yeah. could be the convenient number of dots. But the, the point was that a group, even though it's enjoying itself, mm-hmm. was was bordering on not on indecision, but on too much decision, which led to a form of indecision. Right. Uh, because Herding the group's cats. mind was trying to go a certain way. Yeah. And it's it's a wonderful example of populace as an energy, mm. that populace can be uh, too many options, mm-hmm. and therefore too many voices, and you have to challenge with it to produce fruit, is a leader needs to arise. Mm. So there's almost like another, another figure has to come out of it. Um, and, you know, I'm hinting it, of course, with, with, with the comparison of the Odu of Ejioko, um, or Oyekun, as it's known in Ifa, and then in Dilogo and Ejioko. Mm. Um, but the notion of how closely the earth is connected to this Odu, that if Ogbe, the correspondent to Via, is the light rising in the east, that the earth receiving that light is Ejioko. And therefore, Ejioko provides tremendous wealth for those that can embrace this uh, agricultural cycle of you must plant seeds and they must be put away for a certain amount of time. It's investing in the future. It's mm-hmm. investing and allowing time to pass. It is a very Saturnine thing because of that. It is an absorptive Saturn as Earth monster, um, as like the, the Aztec Earth monster that eats the setting sun. Yeah. Um, this, this notion of the Earth as terrifying but productive and the darkness of the womb and the darkness that time is necessary. This is where death comes into the world because mm. it eats the light of Ogbe. Mm. It is the container that is inviting light to come into it, mm. the vacuum that draws things into it. So here you have um, a heavily collect- connected to the ideas of hunter and the hunted, mm. that death stalks us here. Death becomes a friend and a bride. So Oshosi is married to death um, and becomes the hunter, marries death, and learns this, this mystery mm. that here uh, the hunter's obsession with, with finding the prey and what truth is to try and define the light and understand Ogbe and the, the stricture of mm-hmm. Ogbe leads to him shooting an arrow into the air to try and find a thief and the thief was his mother who was preparing the food. Mm-hmm. So it's um, uh, the death of his own mother there. It's, it's, there's so many things. And of course these stories appear in different Odus depending on the town you're talking to or, or which publication off of Lulu you're, you're pirating <laughs> or, or, or whatever it is. But the notion of... Um, conflict of relationship of, of opposition because it is the second oldest in in the rankings so you have ogbe followed by, by oyakun or, or ed, uh, ogbe or ediunle followed by edioko mm. and uh oko here uh bringing up notions of orisha oko the, the, the agricultural orisha or oko the penis um uh, just the different notions of the hard work that goes into making something fruitful. Right. And it is that in order for death to, to claim its prize, in order for us to eat meat, we want the thing to grow to a larger point. We want the plant to mature before we kill it. We've got to fatten the little Hansel and Gretel's up mm-hmm. or, or or we'll stay skinny witch. Right. Um, and it's hard not to bring that knowledge of this Odu to populist because I see so many divergent ideas about what populist is because it is a natural state of confliction because there's always going to be more than one view on what populist is by its own nature. It is a figure of, uh, 
being a figure of the moon, it is not to say that that's its only, you know, planetary virtue or, 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 or context, but being that lunar figure and the other lunar figure at yeah. that, right? The yeah. other side, not the, not the moon constantly changing, moving across the sky of Via, the, the sliver of light guiding your way, but also taking you to a place where you have no idea what's going on. Like the, 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 the constant changing of things of dark and silver in the night but rather the the other moon the moon that other people think the moon is right mm -hmm. the um yeah <laughs> other people's drawings of the moon the wrong ones like the, this wealth of opinions about the moon and about uh, duplicity and the double and and you and and the and what you bring the baggage of of things around you all that kind of stuff adds into it as well i think that's i think the most fascinating thing about uh, populous when it turns up in an important place or when it produces an important thing that idea of the fecundity of it mm -hmm. is that owing to the maths of things pop, uh, any figure that's added to populous will produce that figure again we get the, the that lunary watery reflective quality of like this passing through it will produce the same thing you know um in charts where say you're trying to work out in, in a geomantic reading, not just what the answer to the client's query is, but how to phrase it to the client to be most useful to them. Mm -hmm. You can often look at that in terms of the uh, the querent's first, the first house of the querent, and then whichever house you end up using to talk about you, the diviner, which mm. uh, I've heard as seven, I've also heard as six. Um, and that notion of... Why? Oh, I think it's six because you're the worker mm -hmm. um, and you're doing it. Um, and you're also uh, inquiring after the health, um, and seven therefore would be the after that. So there's some notion of of, of uh, all these the idea of seventh as, as as the partner in working this thing out together. Because um, that notion of of indenture mm -hmm. to a client that has paid you, I know, comes up for some people too. Right. Of like I'm your servant right now, yeah, which can also influence yeah, 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 <laughs> how yeah, yeah, things yeah. go. And if it, if it's the second house uh, from the sixth. Uh, as well, uh, six being the first, um, counting it that way. So there's things borrowed from... from you realise this makes no sense to people who don't know house <laughs> architecture. Like, it's just more confusing. And this is why people think astrologers and traditional magicians are crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay, well, there are ways of w in which one can look at a chart. Do a house course. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, house course. There are ways in which you can look at a chart <laughs> and get not just the answer, but a way of, of, of a variety of ways that you might be able to frame that as useful to the client. One of my uh, one of the things I've found is that if the figure you are looking for, wherever that is, is is populous, that the client will project things onto you. That the if the client is you know um, represented in the first house as tristicia as sorrow, and whatever house you're looking for. Uh, yourself and and how they're perceiving you is populous uh, anything plus populous will always equal whatever went into it so so sadness comes out of it again that the client is attempting to um uh continue their their patterns right so there's that notion of the continuance of something the the inertias of of if, if a thing is in motion it'll stay in motion if a thing's at rest it'll stay at rest mm -hmm. so there's that quality to it that I'm, I'm really interested in as well and that there is a, a sense of um of it being of something that's shared amongst a crowd being either good for things that are good to be shared or bad for things that are bad to be shared. Mm -hmm. There's, there's qualities of yes. telephone games. How mercurial <laughs> good with good and bad with bad mm. or just good with bad to fuck you up. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
Ejioko Oyekun has these notions of the, the paths of the sun and the moon because of the, now you have an op- opposition. So mm-hmm. we're talking about in the order of Odu, which changes from Dilogun to, to Ifa and Ifa to Dilogun. But we understand that the nature of it, that Ogbe is the first, the senior Odu in the east, and that Oyakun or Ejioko is the, the, the antithesis, the, the corresponding answer to it in the west. And therefore you have a path now. Um, you know, this is not an uncommon thing with two, that now there's a road, there's a destination. Um, some cultures would view that as three, and I will say that, that there are several cultures that I really respect that view the road as three, not two, um, because there is the destination, there's you, and there's the road. So um, it is it is a different thing, or that a picture actually evokes three, that there's the thing it represents, there's you, and there's the picture as the medium, as the road. Right. Um, but the notion of the first road forward, you don't, that's a direction. It's not a destination. Right, it's a vector, yeah. And so there's this unknown star that you're charting towards. Uh, and so Ejioko Oyekun deals with the the paths of the sun and the moon, the seasons, cycles, things going from one to two and two to one, if we mm. want to follow it by, or zero to one and one to zero mm. in a binary system, um, but positive, negative, negative, positive, and back. Mm. And it is through the mating of via and populous comparatively or through the mating of Ogbe or Ejunle and Ejioko that all other combinations come through because you have single mark and you have two mark yeah. all the way down. They can be connected yeah. as they are in Ifa when the signs are similarly drawn, mm-hmm. connect the dots. But that here you're dealing with the forces that we cannot see. So it is defined by its unknowingness yeah. is defined by its lack of definition so ogbe is what we know and oyakun becomes what we don't know and this is echoed in agriculture again in the fecundity of the earth we plant something in the ground we don't know if it's going to grow mm. we hope that it does and we nurture it but it is praising unseen forces of germination of darkness yeah. of the things that make the night we don't know if the sun will rise we hope it will yeah but we must give in to the cycles that allow for germination and growth mm. and growth in darkness so here also you have um, a constant contrast in energies. Um, the idea of the, the arrows between brothers, that relationships become stressed, mm-hmm. that a relationship should be secure, but it's not. It's in danger because of jealousy, because of the status change between the two relationships. Right. So uh, there is an inequality the minute you have two. It's very hard to maintain equality. And what Arisha do we have that's in two constantly is a beji. And we always make sure we give them the sacred twins that... Uh, giving them the same offerings. So they aren't at war with each other and therefore with us. Right. Of you gave him more, you gave her more. Right. So this constant understanding of duality is about maintaining a balance, a very strict balance with the very deity that we, we invoke for duality. Mm. So this you know affects everything from concepts of twinship um, as, a, as a minor Orisha, but understanding a very complex dualism that is not... Um, uh, dualistic but without being dualism I suppose is probably the better yeah, yeah. way of doing it which is a very um, you know indigenous uh, exploration for me it's just the obsession with that in uh, just made it about me just um, knowing I did that but um, <laughs> the the structure of the Aztec universe and 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 Mexica, um thought of looking at duality as the foundational block upon which something exists but not in opposition as two warring factors in this very European uh, dualistic way, but that duality 
is the thing contains its own opposite that they are not automatically have a relationship so it's the the symbol of olin which is the it looks like the the, the seal for Saturn of an inner, of an upright V and a downright V or an upright triangle and a downright yeah, yeah, yeah. triangle forming the six-pointed star, forming this tension symbol, which this interaction between positive and negative allows for things to be conceptualized after that point. So you can follow this and it makes uh, Malinali the, the twisted rope, the rope that comes out of this duality. Yeah. And this notion of, of this, interestingly, is that the, the rope becomes a mat which is Nepantla is the, the formation of, of all reality. So Nepantla is the way that things are interwoven, the spaces in between, but it's made up of conceptual threads, which when you look down to the atoms is created through duality and understanding those opposing forces. And I think there's something to that, building out of Ejioko and the interaction. That perpendicularity with, okay. yes. of the warp and the weft. There has to be... First, there is the tension that maintains the tautness of the thread. So if we go into spinning things, again, Agnes and the spinning, but that there's threads going different ways, that you're you're folding it in half almost mm-hmm. to then go back and make it thicker. Mm-hmm. And so there's counterclockwise clockwise going all at once. Mm-hmm. And that this is important to maintaining a tautness and providing structure and form upon which to weave mm-hmm. and build something mm-hmm. that is bigger, that we rely on the tension and the tension which gives form, but only comes from the interaction between that which is known and that which is unknown. O- oiling the canvas on the frame kind of thing. You have like the tensions that start to, to form that allow things to be spun on them, like the, the, the loom or whatever. Yeah. Huh. Mm. Then, you know, it's this, it, it goes one step beyond, you know, I, I again, going back to that Iberian <laughs> conceptual, uh, the concepts of sun and moon there, um, especially if you look at Euskadi, Euskadi Ria, Basque concepts of, of, of sun and moon and uh, concepts of what is seen and what is unseen. So it is not as simple as proposing light and less bright light, which in the West it kind of is still. We, we associate the Artemis Apollo thing, or here it's two sisters and we're dealing with life and stillborn. We're dealing with... Um, the structure of anything, positive space itself being connected to the sun, that which we can see, and negative space, the thing that defines the positive space, mm. is the moon. Because the moon goes away. Mm. And so the concept of death and absence being tied to the moon, mm. which is a different concept than just saying two forces that are fighting each other. We can't see the other force. Right. And here, it's similar to that with, with Ejioko, of we cannot see the other force. We don't know what happens when we put something in the ground. We have past evidence, we have trust, but we cannot see it. And when you merge into a crowd, it's like like playing Assassin's Creed, right? You're going to go into a crowd and, or hide amongst the, the dancing ladies, mm-hmm. and you're going to blend in and your, your target's not going to see you. Again, we're into like invisibility and hunter mysteries. Yes. Right. So you, you hide in the bush and don't move because you're surrounded by things, or you go above them. And um, yes, I just revealed that I'm an Assassin's Creed nerd but the notion of hiding in plain sight yeah. um the forest for the trees it is it is a very difficult concept yeah to intellectualize but it, it makes so much sense when you just start living it yeah 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 hiding in plain sight is uh a, yeah a very different thing to literally disappearing yeah um or or, 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 or your absence or yeah conjuring your absence mm. 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 I think this 
tension that is is forming here. Again, just to segue into something else, because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can come back to it. Mm-hmm. The tension that forms there that allows for form. Mm-hmm. It's the tension that allows for form, and, mm-hmm. you know, especially Mexica, uh, Nahuatl universe of the Aztecs, that understanding, but this opposition gives strength. The axis of the graph yeah. that allows you to then plot so, things on it. Similarly, our conceptions of the strength card of tarot, some of the older cards are a woman with a broken column. Mm-hmm. It is breaking. The columns are breaking. Could this be Samson? Made a man a long-haired Samson that is mistaken for a woman? Some suggest. Hmm. Um, it could be the woman holding the lion's mouth open. Hmm. And it reminds me of what they talk about with a, with an alligator, that you can actually hold your the, the alligator's mouth closed because it doesn't have as many muscles to open it. It has right. muscles that close it. Yeah, yeah. So it's very easy to just wrap your arms around the, right. the snout. I don't want to try that in person, Mike. <laughs> um, but... That strength is derived from understanding the opposite of something, and possibly in this Aikido-like way of using it to your advantage, that you use yeah. the force of the other person mm-hmm. to to disable them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's something there that makes a lot of sense. Not being where they're punching uh, and 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 hitting them with the biggest thing around the the ground right? <laughs> is, is is ways I've I've heard it phrased. But yeah, the the best protection being not being there. I, an and one of my concept. favorite things in Aikido too is like someone comes at you and you flip them and it always inevitably shows you show them where to land with your hand. <laughs> yeah. It's like pointing. It's like those Fair those please. queens that walk the one runway and they point <laughs> the other side of the stage before they get there. Um, but here you're doing it with another person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a sense of um, I've also heard it described as, as as a great yes saying of like oh you're you're moving so quickly you'd like to be over there well I will help you go over there <laughs> your gravity is so forceful let me introduce yeah. you to the earth yeah. which you seek yeah yeah, um, yeah. so the, the strength I mean there's there's tons of mysteries around the strength card of course um, I know that the uh, notes uh, I'm gonna pull them out to cheat but that the card I know that notes aren't cheating but they still feel like it mm. it's the oral tradition thing of like oh, I should know this <laughs> um, that the the card numbers changed right mm-hmm. and the and that um, Yes. The writer weight did change it, and now we perceive that as the numbering. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was justice. It? justice and and strength mm-hmm. switch. Eight and eleven, yeah. Um, so it, it goes back and forth, and and which yeah. is uh, interesting in terms of eight. Uh, in terms of the other one being usually associated with Lamed and the the ox goad and prodding and Lamed as teacher um, being in the middle, and then having this idea of no uh, the tension between. Um, Teacher and Lamed being the snake as well, mm-hmm. and the yeah. Gnostic interpretations right. of all these. Exactly, yeah, yeah. The the notion of that being swapped with Teth, the the, the serpent, yeah, uh, is interesting. Hmm. I don't know. Strength is. I mean, it's it's a fairly. In English, it's a weird word because it 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 almost always denotes the physical properties of something, mm-hmm. and yet. I think conceptually. Can you speak more to the early modern notions of strength? Because it seems like it's it hint it's hinting at something more than just physical. Um, yeah, I mean, what are the other virtues? Uh, 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 well, because this is also fortitude, right? Originally, right. strength is fortitude. There we go. So you're talking about a balance of things and applying modicum uh, and knowing how much strength to exhibit. Right. That there is strength in knowing how much strength you have and knowing how much to reserve as well fortitude often having that quality of like stamina to it and of the the stamina of the of the of the long distance runner who doesn't use up too much 
force you know meeting things mm. with a with not necessarily an equal force but the necessary force yes what is necessary right the concepts of of reserving for when you need it mm-hmm. it's like that um uh, was it gattaca i think in gattaca the the notion of the the one brother who was weaker who poses as a as a as a, a super bad human mm. and talking about the swimming um, that he said, how did you always beat me? And he said, I didn't save any strength. Mm. Like I was exhausted by the time we got there, but I always won because I didn't reserve my strength and you always saved enough to go back. Mm. So you never won because mm. of that. And this notion of tricking ourselves into, because there is this concept metaphysically and in, 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 not always, but in many traditions of more strength will come. Mm. But it's also through experience that you know how much strength might come or you know that you can create the opportunity in which more strength might come. Mm. So sometimes this this fear that we have of tapping all our strength out sometimes limits us from finding how much strength we actually have. Right. And in the pairing of the woman with the broken column and the lion on some of the cards where they're both there, you have too much force applied to something that supports you. And the lion, which represents raw physical strength, mm-hmm. you have the concept of force itself or like in Kimon, the Forsa, which is a parallel to Ashe, which is the power to make things happen. Mm. And, happen effectively is the thing Hmm. so may the medicine be effective that you are trying to do just enough what is necessary um yeah because and again you're trying to hit that 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 equilibrium between mm -hmm. um not too much and not not enough right because too much is gonna um spiral off and produce all sorts of other things you have to deal with later and on the rider weight card she has a lemniscate above her head yes like the magician Infinite strength, perhaps, but mm-hmm. no use of equilibrium. Mm-hmm. What is a lemniscate except this yeah. meditating around a certain point? So the unification of polarities back in the middle. So it's yeah. going from via to populus and back mm-hmm. in and out. It's expansion contraction. It is pairing off planets in in opposites. It's, it's Saturnine Jupiter expansion contraction. Yeah, yeah. The strength of uh, the the raw first expression of the discs of, of the pentacles is, mm-hmm. is again the juggler with that lemniscate with the coins right that the that the strength of earth is in its in its changeability forteza mm. okay mm. right okay mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. so in looking at strength <laughs> i challenge you to link strength to sagathana mm. okay or what these concepts to Sagatana? Sure. Well, um, okay, that's a, that's a good game. Um, <laughs> you make my transitory sentence for me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's flat pedagogy. Yeah. Uh, so you let me see. Well, I, mean, I will remember this and use it in my dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sagatana is one of the the deputies, right? It's one of the six um, under whom we have the the eighteen, whether or not they're partitioned off for three apiece or whether they're all under uh, Sirach or, or Skirlin, uh, depending on which reading you're doing, uh, or indeed under, under a bunch of the others. Uh, and if so, do they parallel others found, other unclean spirits? So the notion of the strength that coheres the others around them, which I think is a useful way of framing the, the deputies at points, uh, especially uh. if we have very little on them. And so one of the ways that I approach them is through um, what I, you know, slightly pompously called the guilds of them and and so this notion not merely of like what are the powers listed of the deputies which we do have which we can go through sagatana but the idea of them being the coherence of what their subordinate spirits do 
and in the case of Sagatana, that's uh, 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 Fukisie, who uh, is one of the few um, uh, subordinate uh, of these uh, unclean spirits in, in Verum that uh, is expressly concerned with necromancy and has some very similar uh, language in how Boon uh, is, is depicted, this idea of swapping the, the living and the dead. Uh, there's some very like aerial, uh, windy kind of uh, analogies used, and the riches of the dead as well. Um, then you have uh, Sergat, who opens locks, uh, and who has some lodestone uh, mysteries, as well as some invisibility mysteries, uh, as well as also being potentially one of the spirits that's concerned with uh, geomancy and one of these other guises. And then you have Guland as well, who's concerned with uh, curing and causing disease. So we have a bunch of different kinds of protection work there as well, uh, uh, for, for, for one of uh, uh, another link. Hmm. So this idea of the, the taming of the lion, the idea of the, the, the deputies mm. as that which is cohered out of them, but also that which uh, restrains not through um, opposition, but through uh, a shared virtue. It's, you, you bring up a lot of little fun sparks. Um, to go back to this concept of, well, one, because you said pompous, and then that made me think on that, too, that what is the pomposity in this thing of oftentimes in, because I want to go back to the other specifics about Sagatana, but oftentimes we, we, we note that our personal mythologizing, our personal vocabularies, when we present them to other people, they don't agree with it. This can evoke one of two reactions, usually online on, in Libra AF. It, it seems to um, promote uh, the bravado and the anger that comes with like, well, I know what I'm talking about and I've done this for longer than mm. you. And, and this, this idea of my mythology must be correct because if it's not correct for you, then it must not actually be correct for me mm. as opposed to the metting out of strength of knowing how much to apply of, does this actually challenge your worldview if it, uh, someone disagrees with it mm. and how fragile is your worldview? If someone else disagreeing with it truly makes all the cracks appear. Mm. Um, and it's this constant metting out of, of what our strength is because sometimes you want someone to disagree with you to show you if you're, if you're in a debate, you want to know what the holes in your arguments are mm. and to find, Oh, that doesn't make sense. And here I've been nostalgia. I've been appealing to nostalgia and coherency and into something where it might not actually exist. Mm. And that, that is a form of pomposity, right? Of, of mm. pretension of, of being too, of decorating our columns in, in, in marble paint rather than make, making them a marble. Mm. Um, that's a bad metaphor. Um, <laughs> but I think also the notions of these offices of the deputies, which for me, I'm thinking in Kimanda terms, right? Of, and I, I do like, thank you for the English word deputies, but their support of the upper three Lucifer bills above Ashtaroth or their equivalent issues mm -hmm. in Kimbanda, that, that Sagatana or Voludu Eshu Voludu, the Velvet Eshu, is under Eshu Bilzebub or Eshu Mor, and this, which is the equivalent, not saying he switches, because Trunkohua, who is, um, and Itarmanche, yeah, and, and uh, uh, Chiriri, who, they switch places back and yes. forth, and that is Agri in the grimoires, right, right. as well as in Kimbanda, and I have a justification for that based on my understanding of, of what that framework is describing as well as teachings of, of elders and things like that. Um, however, 
uh, Veludu and the, the velvetness of the tongue and the, the smooth talking of language. And here we're talking about defining uh, something out of all possibility in Kimano through Veludu. So you have um, the deputies of Lucifer who are talking about articulation of that thought and rooting it and refreshing it so that it can be articulated by Voludu. So now you have this constant um, bonfire of things that is that is Eshumor, that is that thing, and Voludu is the first expression of this new meditation, but therefore is also not the final thought. Mm. And Voludu is associated with this smoothness of used car salesmen, the smoothness of the lie is defined by the truth and the truth is defined by the lie, that language itself is cliche and therefore not genuine. Mm. And anytime you speak, you are limiting the access to what you are trying to express. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is the like the Buddhist notion of you can't define what God is. Mm. Um, this limits it. <laughs> and So would that be flipped around and, and say that you can't define what the devil is? Oh, for sure. Especially from a Buddhist concept, because God devil is the same thing. Right, right. Um, that's some red feast chudpa stuff. Um, <laughs> but that's interesting in the notion of of strength, the supporting roles of deputies, of power that is meted out. That the the deputies, in some sense, shield the lowers in command from the upper expressions, and that hierarchy sometimes serves a protection force mm. and a meting out of strength. I'm really into this phrase "metting" today. I'm not quite sure why, <laughs> but this this dilution of power. No, or that's not right. Not quite a diffusion either. Not really a diffusion. It's almost a definition. The same way that we appeal to Voludu to express or mm. to Marabo to express this and articulate this this thought further, so that then we can go. Nope, no, no. You're not that idea, which is starting to go into the works of of Trunkahua and Junidi to to have the expression of Voludu come out. That the little the little goat of hell, as we call him does bah and you can say oops you know what not that one mm -hmm. and then we hear him bah over there and that's still Voludu and they go yes that one get that one that is the one for the job and there are many people who are going to be like what the hell are you talking about but I find the the kind of Kimbana understanding of a lot of this organizational thing very helpful to processing it at least within Kimbanda and I'll get pompous about it and say someone says that's not Kimbanda we're like okay that's fine it's not your Kimbanda which <laughs> we have to deal with all the time right. that it doesn't upset my notions of it this is constant thing in ATRs of there are some things that are landmarks for the whole tradition and there are some things that this is how this house deals with it right. and that this spirit looks like this and this one down there and they call that spirit by the same name over here but it acts completely differently but if both affect cure if both are healing forces in Kimbanda, Kimbanda means the the, the, the doctor, the, the medicine uh, carrier, the that the proof is in the pudding. And these mental explorations are a whole other thing, which is one of the things in the West, that modern occult revival, let's, let's say, rather than the West, because I'm still a Westerner, even though I'm working in other paradigms, is sometimes we forget to look for the proof. Mm. And the proof becomes clarity of thought, or clarity of articulation, mm -hmm. but if that's what we've built our marble facade with, then it gives way to pomposity right. and ego fights and things like that. It's just we had we had a mutual friend who just announced today that he was leaving all groups because, oh. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's fine because he'll comment just as strongly <laughs> on yeah. a personal yeah. level anyway. Um, <laughs> but the notion of populace here mm. the confusion that can come 
from too many voices without a leader emerging or too many voices that are all pretending they're individual leaders. Right. Um, right. What is necessary? Not is, is this necessary right now that I defend my worldview with my life and my honor mm. and my bride and my Facebook account? <laughs> um, or is it just, okay, that person thinks differently. I'm still going to go back to what got me the promotion or mm-hmm. helped me heal that my mm-hmm. child or whatever it is and go back like that. And part of this is we don't want to reinvent the wheel that it's not about my way is the only way you take what has come before and then you have to add to it. Right. But sometimes, you know, just don't add to it before you actually can add to it. Mm. <laughs> Learn your scales before jazzing around with them. Yeah. Mm. I, there was a, with Jechi. I really respect Matt's way of, of phrasing things, and there's a whole bunch of influences that come in there. But someone wanted to to teach songs to the group once, and he asked our director Matt, "When can I teach them?" And Matt said, "When you no longer desire to teach them," um, which is not just a restriction; it's actually the answer. Mm-hmm. The, the, it's beneficial to the group when it's about the group, not about your desire to teach. Mm-hmm. That 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 are you doing it for the group? Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. there is something interesting in the in the demonstration that you can learn once you have diverted your own populace of thoughts once you've unified which is like total gurdjieff there right there the, there's there's the multiple we and we are trying all of our lives to refine it into an i mm. to use the singularity because we are multiple bodies to start and when we start to unify it then the spiritual body is starting to form mm. and this is the permanence mm-hmm. the body of light is formed mm. the move from populace to Vio or whatever else you can form anything out of it. Like the Lundisket, right? So it's carving it out, right? No, yeah, no, it's no, it's no, defining no. itself and doubling back on itself and learning from its past and going into its future and through this via negativa as well as via positiva that there mm-hmm. is a new axis that is formed and the earth may wobble, but it still revolves around that axis. Mm. Is interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Deputies, pomposity, strength. It's all there. We get that lowest and highest thing with uh, with Sagatana as well. One of the lines that um, I think people have pondered on a lot is uh, is this from where we do get the write up of his offices itself uh, in in another grimoire, not in not in Verum. Is uh, there are other grimoires? Imagine uh, is is that he's they supposedly teach all the tricks and subtleties of the shepherds, uh, and this this capitalization of shepherds is particularly interesting. I think. Especially with regards to populace, right? Right. So the flock. Mm-hmm. And like, you mm-hmm. need something to guide yeah, them. The flock, the congregation. Uh, yeah, all of those notions. Um, yeah, there's there's so many different ways that can be taken. Um, and I think that's it's very interesting um, to, to, to ponder on. It's interesting because uh, Voludu, Mr. Velvet, is, uh, is still sometimes quoted as being under Ashtaroth. Well, well, this is yeah. This is this is the thing. Sagatana is 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 is, is uh, by by standard uh, referred to as, as under Astaroth, uh of of the chiefs um, in that in that Veramesque uh, formula, uh, despite the movement round of, of the others, particularly um, mm-hmm. Erepts uh, moving between uh, Lucifer and, and Belzebuth, uh, uh, and and whether or not you have uh, Takimaki at all, um, crops up in some places and not others, and in some other parts of other parts of grimoires that should be have already been mentioned in that one and those kinds of things showing that it's a piecemeal uh, palimpsest anyway hmm. yeah it's very interesting because the the 
the charts will show Voludu being distinctly under more. Mm. But because of the Sagatana being under Ashtaroth, there's this other relationship there. And I think also the... Does this affect my cosmology? No, I can totally justify it there too, which is the beauty of, of uh, overactive imagination, I suppose, and self-importance. But uh, Voludu is uh, connected to Islam, is connected to these mysteries, and, and before it turns into like this kind of spiritist thing of like, there's spirits for every religion around understand that many Africans were Muslim when they came. Right. And so the importance in a Congolese structure of understanding all spirits that are now on Brazilian soil, there have to be Muslim spirits, there have to be ethnic groups that, mm -hmm. that show what it was, the diversity of Africa yeah. um, before the Middle Passage, uh, and the diversity of Brazil because of the Middle Passage and because of, of Europe's colonization and the degradation of indigenous uh, groups. But Voludu has an intense relationship. He's, he's pretty stable. It's hard to know what he actually means. Um, it's a little Oracle of Delphi type of thing of like, oh, crap, that's what he meant. Um, because of the, the tongue, the, the silver tongue, the velvet tongue. But he has an intense relationship with Reina da Colunga, the, the queen of the cemetery, um, who is a very mature, powerful Bumbajira. Some say the bride of Omolu, uh, the, the lord of the cemetery, the lord of the souls, um, the death itself, not... For me, as a Kimbanda de Rice practitioner, as for us as Kimbanda de Rice practitioners, we don't um, mix the concept of the Orisha Omolu as being the same as Eshu Omolu. Mm -hmm. So I'm just putting that out there. Um, but the idea that uh, the Eshu Voludu, the one known as Eshu Voludu, uh, actually spoke Swahili, which is a unifying tongue. It's, a, it's an artificial mm -hmm. tongue mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that seeks to unify. So disparate thoughts being unified into a common tongue, right. which fits into my own ideas about what the, what the deputies are and the capeta. Mm. Um, but that uh, he delights in women with long hair. He, he is connected to Sufic dance and mysticism. Uh, there's just the sensuality of long hair itself is quite interesting. Uh, he wears a big blue velvet cape. Mm -hmm. It's not red velvet here. It's mm. blue velvet. Um, and uh, turbans, curved knives, uh, oxen. Hmm. So it's the, you know, there can be somewhere there. We talked about the ox goat and things like that. It's just mm -hmm. interesting. Um, hmm. But that Volulu, first off, has like hundreds of pontos, cantados and pontos fiscados. Um, the, the, the drawn points and the sun points are both a plenty for him. And that there are so many different qualidades, different aspects of Voludu. Mm. He's been around from the, he's one of the older talked about issues and Mr. Velvet, as we would call him, um, is quite quintessential and is, uh, I don't know, there's something very interesting about this giving voice to a thought that the thought and the language itself still itself still contain the opposites that we talked about. Mm. There's a dualistic tension in that language that by what is not spoken or spoken, or there's something with else revealed. Or spoken ambiguity. Yes. Right. And therefore the tension is even more preserved and somebody can get multiple meanings out of it. Mm -hmm. So Voludu is that gift of a spirit to speak and they say something and then five different people in the room hear the same phrase but it means something intrinsically extremely personal to each of them. Mm -hmm. And so it's very hard for a, a person to consider what, especially since they don't know what's in the recesses of somebody's mind, mm -hmm. little popular sedioko stuff there, hmm. that the seed can be planted in multiple sources and bear fruit mm. is a very voludu thing. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, I'm happy with that. 
and 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 kind of a quintessential notion of the 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 deputies the the Malay of being these besuited um charming but uh, charming devils who are also enacting a violence of taking things apart uh and 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 putting them back together in new orders right the 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 scissor of the tongue mm-hmm. um that scissors meaning and what animal has obviously a scissored into their tongue mm-hmm. is serpent which mm-hmm. is wisdom itself the mm-hmm. duality of the tongue speaking both sides the mm-hmm. limits of the truth um the the fruition of the lie i suppose to horribly bastardized chumler there <laughs> um from the confines of the truth the limits of the lie that's mm-hmm. what i'm going for or maybe the other way around <laughs> no notes notes would be good but I, we never know what we're actually going to talk about <laughs> It's true. Okay. I think we actually... Did we hit everything now? I think we hit everything. I think we actually hit everything in a very kind of nice flow. Mm-hmm. Thank you, St. Agnes. This, yeah. this was... this was. We try and... We have in the past sometimes picked topics that kind of easily flow between. This was perhaps one of the most random. This was... We know that we can speak on Amber and Rosemary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I picked a random thing, but I'm really happy with the way it all stitched together. Yeah. Um... Here's to pomposity. <laughs> um, here's, here's to recognizing when we're calling ourselves pompous and then seeing how that moves from a self-deprecation to an interesting and useful meditation. Yeah. It's that whole... Um, the notion that in order to truly grow, you have to fall apart every so often. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the serpent shedding its skin, the, the tightness and the... Or um, uh, even the some concepts of, of cliff off. Oh, uh, there. Uh, <laughs> I brought that in. Um, but I love the description of, of everything has cliff off. Everything has its shell. It's the limits of the understanding or the luminosity of mm-hmm. that, that there's a potential limit there. Mm-hmm. And that by thinking, meditating, identifying its essence, you're actually creating cliff on Moga, the, the, the brilliant, the mm-hmm. shining the shell becomes something different it starts to extend and it creates a new extension of itself it, it, it expands mm-hmm. and that that here uh, to explore Clifoth as the limits of our onion the hard onion layer as opposed to continuing to be able to pass mm-hmm. and understand that we must hit the dot of every dot as in the the invisible sphere of um, the dot of, of every concept in order to truly push beyond it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, it's interesting, right? It's the skin must feel tight and crack mm. before the new skin, the old skin can shed and the new skin grow. Yeah. Um, which is horrifically unquieting and, 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 and not comforting at all. Um, except that it's going to, you know, it gets better. Hashtag something. <laughs> <sighs> Not what that hashtag was intended for. But <laughs> may the may the may your skin split and the world form a new one for you. Right. May 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 you outgrow your old limitations. May you always look back on your work and be slightly embarrassed by it, but also sympathetic to younger you. <laughs> Don't deify your old sheds. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. <laughs> yeah. If it's not back in my day, our sheds were made of adamantine diamond dust. <laughs> uh. Okay. Well, on that note, uh, I guess we can sign off and, and then start to go from there. You know, happy feast of St. Agnes. Yeah. Um, may you fight for whatever it is your definition of yourself is. 
uh, following Agnes's model. Um, you know, throw chastity to the dogs if that's what you want, mm-hmm. or preserve it. Um, may you find the purity of your actions. Yeah. May your nudity make people blind <laughs> and hairy. <laughs> uh, may. May you have exactly as many swords as you would like put in your body, put in your body. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, may <laughs> may you remember what you want to remember. May you get shocked when you want to be shocked. May you get shocked when you least expect it. You know, that's there is the thing of like, that's how, there's this notion too of, of we have to put ourselves in uncomfortable circumstances to challenge ourselves. Mm. Um, because if we don't, then the cataclysms of the universe it's not that it's unnecessary feedback, but they will affect us deeper. Mm. So that if we haven't given ourselves shocks, um, I, I, I do a 36-hour paratheater workshop every January and have for a decade now with, with my theater group. And uh, it's an extension of the work I did in college. But 36 hours is a really freaking long workshop to stay awake and just be nonverbal and only do certain things. And it's, it's tedious and you learn about the relationship with yourself. But again, why do you do it? Because... I've loved the discussions of this in the past that you do it to jumpstart your year. We do it in the winter to provide a new trajectory and you're dealing with the, the growth from one old skin into a new, in order to do that, you have to break it. And so you have to confront yourself with this discomfort or I'm going to get honked at when crossing the street one day and have a panic attack and not know why. Uh, Mm. If I can control those little panic attacks by Mm. providing rocks to rub against it's very different than someone stepping on me and making my world fall Encouraging apart. Encouraging your children to eat a little bit of dirt to, to, to get things under so their fingernails. So that you don't have allergies like I right, do, right. mom. Um, <laughs> I think that's an interesting uh, point when we're talking about both protection and purification, is that if we if we overly bubble ourselves, uh-huh. if, if we allow those, uh, if we allow that populace to become uh, carker, uh, if, we, if we cut off the fire and Super the elastic bubble it, plastic. So, oh my gosh, it's the cylinder versus the bubble. Yeah. So right. cylinder, it's still open on top and bottom. Mm-hmm. Down to the devil, up to God. Right, where 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 the where the, the heat and the light come uh, and meet in the middle. Yeah, if we if yeah, that's an interesting notion for the for the that the soul needs uh, needs needs uh, dirt under its fingernails as well, um, so mm-hmm. that it doesn't have have too many allergies. <laughs> wow, we're so pompous. <laughs> okay. Um, but seriously, a uh, happy feast of St. Agnes. I hope this has been fruitful for, for our listeners that have stuck it out. Yes. Um, and, uh, we will have this up, not by the first feast because that was yesterday. Uh, thank you again. Check us out on, uh, Facebook, Radio Free Golgotha mm-hmm. on our website, www.radiofreegolgotha.com mm-hmm. with or without hyphens in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, our folk necromancy Facebook group, mm-hmm. uh, totally searchable. Um, you'll notice that we're pretty we allow a lot of posts, and it's not just because we're being dicks, but we're trying to find uh, a way to promote discussion as opposed to info mining mm. and to present topics. So we um, we tend to wait for someone to have a link to post rather than asking someone to post links for them. I have a skull. What should I do with it? I'm not what I'm interested in discussing, and since it's since our group, I can edit that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so there's there's close to 2,000 people in it, and there's some really great divergent voices from different traditions, and that's exactly what we're looking for. So yeah. um, come and, and poke holes in our arguments, please. Mm-hmm. Um, unification of thought is not the goal, except in bed, maybe. Um, 
but yeah, so uh, Facebook, which we call Living Library AF sometimes, uh, <laughs> Folk Necromancy, uh, and uh, The Good Doctor does have a new book out through Revelor Press, um, which is uh, a Available tablet book. Available for pre-order now, yeah. yeah. Um, on the magic of the three magi, the magic of the magi, mm-hmm. um, and the history of the cult, and some really wonderful pragmatic applications uh, inspired by history, inspired by traditional resources, as well as suggestions for understanding the cult as an aid and an inspiration for modern magicians. And I think um, you did a really nice job with it. So I'm I'm excited to maybe the challenge will be for him to bring up the magi, or the unchallenge for him to not bring up the magi at least <laughs> once per episode. Um, but uh, maybe we can do a little more on that sometime. Yeah. But uh, Revelor Press has it. Please, we've posted links on Radio Free Golgotha as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it looks like it'll be a good year for uh, a few different publishing venues. Yeah. Um, and we hope to be speaking at a number of conferences again. So please do check out the talks and lectures section on the website and like us on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows what Facebook has in store for us this year because they're supposedly shutting down the feeds for uh, liked pages. Mm-hmm. So please do visit to find out more. Yeah. Um, that said, somebody is cooking and it smells amazing. <laughs> so I'm going to shut myself up and um, let Al talk for the next hour or we'll just start <laughs> signing off. Yeah. I think a sign off is great. Wishing you infinite strength, dear listener. Yes. Open that lion. Open it up nice and deep. <laughs> um, all right. Thank you so much and good night. Good luck for the Father Nothing. Put your hand inside the box. <laughs> Young human. <laughs> it's in the box. Game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Bye-bye.